I'm ready. I'm ready. So yeah, I'm, I'm ready. about cinematic oddities where we discuss any media that is too bizarre abnormal or off kilter for contemporary audiences occasionally these projects gel most times they crash hard into the realm of obscurity join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp i'm zach and i don't want to say on the phone all i can tell you is that i killed her last night this week on Cinemodities, we are very excited to start a brand new series. I'm always very excited for that whenever we get to a new month. And before we introduce this month's series, even though I talked about it on last week's episode, of course, that voice, not mistakable at all as Zach, we have Heather coming back for some more in-depth feminist discussion. Is that right, Heather? <laughs> Oh, yes, of course. You can call me Zach, though. <laughs> All right. So, um, before we jump into it, there's a lot to say whenever we kick off a new series. We have to talk about, well, of course, where is Zach? And he is hard at work at the restaurant. Actually, for a reason I'm very excited to talk about, somebody, for the first time in a long time, ordered some miracle buffalo meat which we ran out of a long time ago. Meat from the Miracle Buffalo was one of our first additions to the restaurant ever, if uh, our audience doesn't remember, and for Heather to know. And so since someone has ordered it again, Zach is trying to find a suitable replacement. Do we need another Miracle Buffalo to slaughter and serve up? That's ideal, but we would also accept close approximations, such as a Miracle Beefalo. Heather, do you know what a Beefalo oh. is? Well, I always debated if it, they bred the cow and the buffalo together or if they took half cow, half buffalo and ground them together. So I didn't know this until looking into uh, this, this thing for the restaurant, but a beefalo is what they call a bison cattle crossbreed. Oh, so it's not in the meat grinding process. Well, the other kind of meat grinding <laughs> process. It's in the actual animal, yes. And uh, they call it a beefalo, which I think is just the goofiest name ever, but it fits perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> so they have miracle beefaloes. We, we hope. Uh, do you know what a miracle buffalo is? Um. Is it something like unicorn blood where, like, it sustains Voldemort or something? It's actually a lot more realistic than that. Oh, it is okay. An, it is an all-white, non-albino buffalo. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, where I'm from, we have miracle squirrels. Ooh. We have white squirrels. There's even a white squirrel festival, and they're not albino. Maybe Zach should serve this person miracle squirrel. If it takes too long to find a miracle buffalo or a miracle beefalo. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're quite prevalent in western North Carolina. <laughs> oh, okay. Maybe I'll send them all there. That's on the east coast. So that's close from New York yeah, to North yeah. Carolina. Yeah, that's close. The, the customer is happy to wait as long as possible, as long as he gets some miracle meat. That's what I've been told. 
But okay. yes, the Miracle Buffalo is like one of my favorite things ever. I love the Miracle Buffalo. But that's where Zach is trying to figure out what miracle meat to serve this customer. So with that being said, we can get into now this new series kicking off July. We are doing something totally different from the chewed up and spit out the plight of women in the in show business. We are now doing what I'm calling the Triple D series. Guy Fieri would be proud. Triple D! Danny DeVito directs. And we're going to talk about, for the whole month of July, movies that Danny DeVito has directed. And of course, this series idea came to me from talking to people, and them apparently not knowing or not remembering that Danny DeVito directs movies, or directed movies. He hasn't done one since 2003. But from, you know, 1984 till uh, 2003, he was a director, and he got seven movies out, six theatrical, one for TV. We'll we'll talk about some history. Don't worry, Heather. I know you're dying to go there. I am dying. But I've kind of found it shocking that, you know, these days, it seems that everybody, whenever you talk about Danny DeVito, they only know him as Frank Reynolds from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And I mean, rightfully so. Don't get me wrong. He's he's a great on that show, and he's a memorable character, and it's going to be a role he's always remembered for. But he's 75 years old today. He's done a lot of stuff before It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and it seems like people don't know this, or like I said, don't want to remember it. So we figured we would shine some light on the great Danny DeVito. Are you one of these people, Heather? Did you know that he directed movies, or did you think he was just, like, born in, what, 2006 when he started on the second season of It's Always Sunny? No, 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 no. I loved Matilda growing up, so... Uh, yes. The other yes. thing most people know him from. Also, was Danny DeVito in, like, the real world or something? Like the reality or, show, the real world? Yes, or was that another short man? <laughs> I don't know. Was there, like, a real world celebrities? There had to I be, right? I think there might. Oh, wait, wait, no, no. It was the one with the with the clocks. Flavor Flav. Oh, Flavor of Love? Yes. So are you asking me if Danny DeVito was in Flavor of Love? Okay, I might be getting this wrong. I also thought Billy Crystal was in Hot Chick. I got him confused with uh, Rob Snyder. So I might be getting Danny DeVito confused with this Hollywood doppelganger. <laughs> that is very interesting. Confusing Rob Schneider and Billy Crystal. That is very interesting. Um, I, I A quick Google of Flavor of Love Danny DeVito. I, I cannot find a relationship between the two things. So I don't know. I've also never seen Flavor of Love. I think I just know through it from cultural osmosis that it did exist and people have talked about it <laughs> but i will have to dig into that when i'm editing this and maybe i'll do a correction to see what the <laughs> hell you're talking about Heather. okay all right hey kids i can't find any connection from danny devito to flavor of love surreal life or any of those vh1 shows from back in the day if you know what heather is talking about please i strongly recommend you get yourself some help so all right, all you right. did you did mention Matilda, and of course that is one of the reasons, you know, once I thought of this series idea that I wanted to get, just actually do it, because Danny DeVito's got some great movies that he directed. Of course, Matilda is like a childhood classic to everyone our age, 
He has another movie called War of the Roses, which I really, really enjoy. That's one of my favorite movies ever. And from pitching this series to people and seeing if they wanted to be involved, apparently his second-to-last movie, Death to Smoochie, has a huge following. Like, I was shocked when I, I gave the list of movies to people, and I had a bunch of people that they were like, oh my god, I will die defending Death to Smoochie, and it's a masterpiece. And I was like, oh, okay, I never knew it had that kind of uh, feeling behind it. But with all that, I was just like, gotta go for it, gotta do Danny DeVito directs. And I think this is the better time than any, any other to talk about something we haven't done in a while, I think, on Cinemodities, our context, our history with Danny DeVito. Because, like I said, he didn't just start up and it's always sunny in Philadelphia. People have known about him forever. He was born in 1944, which is crazy to me how old he is. And he's just looked the same in every movie he's ever been in, it seems, except he Batman Returns. He has not aged very much. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and so good for him. But I was trying to think of my history of Danny DeVito and trying to figure out, like, where or when or how I first came to be aware of him. And and it, I was like, maybe it was Matilda, but that's so long ago, I can't even remember the first time I saw Matilda. Uh, that was, like, definitely, like, something I have very little memory of other than I watched it a bunch. And I think it's kind of like how a lot of great relationships start. You don't remember when it started. And I just think I've known about Danny DeVito my whole life. I might have been born with the knowledge of Danny DeVito and just loved him forever. <laughs> would you <laughs> would you say it's something similar with you, Heather, or do you have any like actual history learning about Danny DeVito that you can remember? Yeah, no, he's definitely somebody who's just been around for forever. And he's just been a nice comical guy who's bald spot hasn't gotten much bigger as he's aged <laughs> yes exactly and he hasn't gotten any taller i don't know if he's if he's shrinking with how old he is i i think that's another reason i i, I really wanted to talk about this series is because who doesn't love danny devito like he's there's got to be such a minority if anybody who doesn't love danny devito right yeah exactly yeah he's a good guy i mean there's been no me too's about him true true yeah, he's he's a pretty likable dude. See, I knew you were going to get the feminist issues in here, Heather. Somehow. <laughs> <laughs> You're just primed after showgirls forever. <laughs> well, and then isn't his wife, his real-life wife, is in Matilda, right? Yes, I think they are currently separated, uh, him oh, and okay. Rhea Perlman, but they they were married for a very long time. Nice. And yes. he was also born in Neptune, New Jersey, so... That's a fun place to be born. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. I'm glad you're getting into the history because we always have to do the history of our directors whenever we do director series. And I say always, even though this is only second time we're focusing on a director. But I, I do have to comment on another thing that came into my head once I decided on doing the Danny DeVito Direct series is an email we got from a fan a few months ago here at Cinemodities. Now, it came in late March... So about three months ago at the time of this recording, and we didn't talk about it on air because it had absolutely nothing to do with what we were discussing at that time on Cinemodities. So I, I responded to it. Uh, it comes from a, a friend of the show. His name is Barry. Ah, hey, Barry. It's an alias, Heather, but... Everybody on the show knows him as Barry, so you can call him Barry. <laughs> hey, uh, Barry. Only Zach and I know his real name. But he sent us this email, and once I had this Danny DeVito directs idea, I knew it was time to bring this up. 
So, the subject of this email is knock knock bitches, totally not spam. And one, we knew it wasn't spam because it was coming from an email address that we've gotten from many times before. But Barry says this, This is your Jehovah's Witness working from home due to the whole quarantine thing. I'm here to ask if you know about our Lord and Savior, Danny DeVito. He is almighty and circular. Would definitely make a great waiter for a restaurant that's made of an infinite void. And then he types six dollar signs. (laughs) Need no contract, only dick pics for payment. Hurry and worship him while his circularness stays circular. Yours truly, a cinemotites, sendemodities, sedemotites listener. And then he attached a picture. Oh, I do. I should mention also that when he's when he types send sendemodities, and I guess just for Heather's knowledge, I make fun of all of our fans whenever they misspell the name of our podcast because they can look at their fucking phone on Spotify for the correct spelling. There's no reason they should ever misspell it. I'm getting worked up. That's beside the well, point. Well, there's, there's autocorrect. Yeah, there, if, there's autocorrect. If you have been alive this long in the world and you are not checking what your autocorrect does before you send it, you are a weak person. <laughs> <laughs> so when he when he typed send emodities, he punctuated it with an interrobang, which is great. That's the combination of an exclamation mark and a question mark. So good job, Barry. I liked that. But he also attached an email, presumably, of our Lord and Savior, Danny DeVito. Now, I've gone ahead and send this pic- sent this picture over to Heather so she can see it as well. Would you like to describe this picture for our audience, Heather? If you can. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not what you're expecting. It's... Um... Danny DeVito looks like he's on vacation, just <laughs> checking into a hotel room, casually about to do the bend and snap to get into his suitcase. Um, and also, Danny DeVito is a woman. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> an innocent-looking woman with a crop top and a pencil skirt. <laughs> and a Danny DeVito head. Yes, it is Danny DeVito's head. <laughs> I think, like, current Danny DeVito, like, as we see him these years, you know, these last few years in, in pop culture and on, uh, you know, It's Always Sunny with the glasses and everything. And I'm glad you mentioned the suitcase in the picture. The suitcase in the picture is open. Like, like the lid is kind of closed, but it is ajar. I could just imagine whoever actually took this picture, they got into this hotel room, and the first thing they did was open <laughs> their suitcase, pull out this mask, put it on, and take a picture. <laughs> Yeah, that would be the first thing I'd be too, and I'd be like, you're trapped, bitches! <laughs> you're trapped with me for the whole weekend, wearing this mask. <laughs> yes, welcome to, welcome to hell, or heaven, because apparently Barry says he's our lord and savior. So, um, I guess for completeness, I did respond to Barry uh, back in the day, and I told him that it sounds like idolatry. We already worship many gods, but Danny DeVito has uh, not fit into it so far. Maybe at the end of this series, this will change. And since he said that dick pics were required for payment, uh, I sent him a duck pic. So I sent him a picture of a little call duck. Oh, oh an auto-corrected duck. picture. <laughs> yes, I was. I was doing that joke. And so, <laughs> so it all comes first circle, full circle. Thank you, Barry, for uh, sending this this email. And maybe subconsciously, Danny DeVito stuck in the back of my head, and and it came through in the form of this series. So now, 
all that out of the way, we do, as I said, have to talk about some of the history of Danny DeVito. And as Heather already said, he was born in New Jersey, 1944. His birthday is November 17th. Oh, wait. (laughs) Oh, you were joking about it being today. It okay. Is, it is definitely not today. He was born Darn. November 17th, which is not Ben Affleck's birthday, just for everybody keeping track. He studied and trained at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts in New York. He is so prolific. Like we were saying before, everybody knows him. We think a vast majority of people love him. He has 138 acting credits and 42 producer credits. That is insane to me that he's been in so much stuff. Okay, and did you also know that he he was a they call it on the his IMDb page, he's a cosmetician, which is a Ooh. funny way of saying it, um at his sister's beauty salon and then he enrolled in the American Academy of Dramatic Arts so he could learn more about cosmetology. Oh, look at that. I it makes sense that you would bring that up, Heather. I guess I got to ask you, what are your thoughts on the Danny DeVito hairstyle? Well, it, um, you know, it's not too hard to figure out. <laughs> if if someone came to you and said they wanted the Danny DeVito haircut, would they have to sign a waiver first? <laughs> probably. I think there would be some probably chemical services involved. <laughs> okay, fair. To get it to like, you know, stand out like that. Sure, sure. Yeah. So, oh, okay. I didn't I did not write that down, but it makes sense that you'd bring that up, Heather. Good. That's why we have you on here. I'm not looking at anybody's <laughs> hair over here. Get out of here. Can you imagine Danny DeVito trying to cut your hair? First of all, <laughs> you'd have to you'd... lower the seat instead of raise it up. <laughs> I know you'd have to sit on the floor. <laughs> it's uh, someone does, someone's a walk in and they're like, "Ah, oh, we only got Danny right now. Uh, so go sit on that milk crate by that by that stand-up mirror. <laughs> Hold on, let me get the ladder. No. <laughs> okay, and speaking about his height, he is 4'10", yes. which is shorter than I anticipated. I thought he was going to be maybe 5 foot even, but 4'10". Mm. Yeah, 4'10", nice. four, four and uh, he owns it. He's He does. He rocks it. He's such a unique-looking person uh, and a unique-sounding person, and his mannerisms, he's, he's a there's a reason he has 138 acting credits, because he's such a screen presence, and he's a fine actor as well. Yes, truth. So he has 23 director's credits, only seven of which are feature-length films. He has a bunch of short films that he's done. In more recent years, he's done some like really short-form horror films, which I've never seen any of, but I do want to check out one day. And I did find that he has a feature film that apparently has been shot, but not yet released. It's called St. Sebastian, and I couldn't find any good information on why it hasn't been released, when it's going to be released. So hopefully, because this podcast is just so popular and so famous, that when we do our Danny DeVito series, the the grassroots movement will rise up and people will demand that his next, his eighth feature film is released. We can only hope. (laughs) Yes, and then it's going to be released to us first. Oh, it better be. Yeah, give the best review. And DeVito's going to give us a uh, an exclusive interview about it. It's going to be perfect. That's Of course, that's how famous we are. <laughs> He's actually going to come over and hang out, and I'm going to barbecue him up some burgers, and we're going to put it on the projector in the backyard. <laughs> it's going to be great. Perfect. I thought you were going to say you're going to cut his hair. <laughs> I will cut his hair. I will do that in the backyard as well. Oh, man, that's good. So his first film appearance was in 1970 in a movie called Dreams of Glass. Never seen it, don't know anything about it, but I always like to point that out. In 1972, 
He stars in Martin Brest's short film, Hot Dogs for Gogon, which I am still trying to find a way to watch. Cinematis listeners know I've been dying to see this because I have such a weird infatuation with Martin Brest, and it is nowhere to be found. So please, once again, anyone who has a copy or knows where I can find one or where I can watch Hot Dogs for Gauguin, email me, cinemodities at gmail.com. I am uh, the only Martin Brest thing I don't have. I need it. So, Heather, do you know where it is? (laughs) No, no idea. Never even heard of it, but I will... uh... Is there like a dark web or something we can go on? Oh, I've been I've been around? everywhere, Heather. I've been <laughs> everywhere. I kidnapped a child getting ready to trade it for this 20-minute movie. <laughs> oh, it would have been worth it. So, uh, yes, you're right saying you've never heard of it. No one's ever heard of it. it it's, it's, a sh- it's a weird, obscure short film, and I, I'm pretty sure from what I've read, it's about Danny DeVito plays a photographer, and he wants to blow up the Statue of Liberty so he can take a picture of it when it explodes. And I'm <laughs> like, I need to see it. It's Martin Brest. It sounds amazing. I need to see it. So, of course, his breakout role was in 1975 in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, with uh, starring Jack Nicholson, of course. He gets into TV in 1977 with some one-off parts. He was on an episode of Starsky and Hutch, which I never knew. Uh, he was on an episode of Police Woman, things like that. And then he gets the part of Louis De Palma on Taxi and games, gains acclaim for it. So he is the short and angry like taxi dis- dispatch person like he's constantly yelling it's a great role i haven't seen all of taxi but from what i have seen it's it's good fun and he's a great part of it i won't admit i haven't seen any of it so yeah, okay okay uh have you ever seen one F- flew over the cuckoo's nest just for our audience to get a gauge of how versed you are in the classic movies have you ever seen one flew over the cuckoo's nest heather uh not that I remember. <laughs> My mom probably made me watch it. I don't know. Jack Nicholson always kind of creeped me out a little. So, okay, as a kid, fair. as a kid, he kind of creeped me out. That's fair. And now he's creeping yeah. out today because he's just the weird, weirdest dude. <laughs> oh, he's just a lot older now. <laughs> yes. So in 1982, um, uh, you brought this up before. He and Rhea Perlman got married, and so Rhea Perlman is also in Hot Dogs for Gogan. It's actually her first role ever. Another reason I need to see it. But they got married in 1982, and I'm only doing the history up to uh, the movie we're discussing today, Throw Mama from the Train. I don't even think I said that yet, but you can all read the title of this episode. But I believe they got separated in 2017, or maybe a little earlier, but they were together for a really long time. Yeah, that's respectable. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Anybody who can put up with one person for that long... (laughs) More props to you. (laughs) Definitely. In the same year, 1982, he hosts uh, an episode of Saturday Night Live. He actually hosts a few, but his first was in 82. And then, right around that time, he moves into directing. And even though the movie we are talking about today is his first, his directorial debut of a theatrically released film, he directed a feature-length movie earlier called The Ratings Game that came out in 1984, and it was released directly to TV. It was actually financed by Showtime and released on the movie channel. So, quick question. Have you ever seen the ratings game, Heather? <laughs> nope, never seen it. Nobody's seen the ratings game. And so, there's, there's a good rule of thumb that we have on Cinemodities. If something goes up on YouTube, like something that is copyrighted, 
and it ne- doesn't get taken down, it means nobody cares about it. This movie, The Ratings Game, is on YouTube. You can find it. If you, if you search The Ratings Game, you will find that movie. And that's exactly where I found it, and I gave it a watch. Because whenever we do directors, I like to watch their whole filmography in order as we go through them in these episodes. So his first one, I had to give it a watch. It's about Vic DeSalvo, played by Danny DeVito, who is in Hollywood, and he's just a a loser down and out at selling his TV shows to the big networks. One of his terrible pilots, which is about a guy that gets placed as a roommate for two women in college, like that's the premise of the show, that is the only premise of the show, it gets bought by an executive of the TV station MBC, who had just gotten fired so he could get revenge against the network. He meets a woman named Francine, played by Rhea Perlman, who works for like the TV ratings company, and they fall in love. She gives him the names of the families whose data is collected to determine you know, what are the hot shows on TV and what's getting watched the most. And he sends a lot of those families on an indefinite cruise and has people go into their homes while they're on the cruise and just watch his shows. His show beats the World Series in the ratings, and he becomes this huge star. The scam gets discovered, and Danny DeVito is arrested when he wins like a TV Digest award that actually proves there were people other than his plants, his goons, watching his shows and liking them. And then he gets married to Francine in the movie and continues to be a TV executive for NBC while he's in jail. That's how the movie ends. Oh, <laughs> overall, <laughs> overall, I liked it. I was a cute little movie. Like it had some funny bits. Like it's a, some of it is a good satire of the TV industry. Um, there's great chemistry between Danny DeVito and Rhea Perlman. Not surprisingly, because we've already said they were married and stayed married for that long. Yes. Um, like what some, did you say this was called? The ratings game. I don't see it on his filmography on IMDb. I think uh, Heather's doing a fast scroll, but yeah, <laughs> it's it, fine. It's a pretty quick scroll. Like I he's said, I'm de- learning how to work my computer. He's so. definitely in it. It's not like I watched this hour and 40 minute movie <laughs> thinking it wasn't Dan- or thinking it was Danny DeVito when it was, I don't know, Rob Schneider. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, no. Okay, well, you know, everybody is a doppelganger. <laughs> so, so there's a the, some of the funny bits. There's a great scene when there's like a um, like a, all these people on the cruise that are the 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 families that like are measured for the ratings. They can't hold a conversation unless it's about television. That's very funny. Um, they do like this montage of commercials for upcoming TV shows on this NBC network. And one of them is called, like, Hot Bods and LeVar, which is a Charlie's Angels knockoff. There's one called Whacked Out, where a guy can't get into the male army, so he dresses like a woman and joins the female army. Oh, like opposite Mulan. Yes. (laughs) And in the United States. (laughs) And then another one called The Dawn Patrol, which is a hard-hitting drama about garbage men. (laughs) But probably my favorite joke in the movie is... He sends all these people on the cruise, and the cruise is supposed to last, like, a weekend or something, so he can just get his his pilot to be the highest-rated thing and beat the World Series. 
but then it does so well and he wants to keep doing it with all his shows and he gets like more shows he can put on the network that he extends the cruise to be indefinite and there's a great scene where the guy who's like running the cruise gets on the PA system and he's like congratulations all of you winners of this cruise it has been extended for another 22 weeks and everybody freaks out and there's like a mutiny scene and it, I, I loved it <laughs> Hello, passengers. This is your old Captain Andy speaking. Good news, gang. Your dream cruise aboard the love boat has been extended for 22 fabulous, fun-filled weeks. Next stop, Cancun, Mexico. Ole! What's he talking about? 22 weeks? Why aren't we docking? Hey, you have to be a wharf tomorrow. Turn this ship around. Hello, out, people. It's got a cameo from Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, Michael Richards also shows in a, shows up in it. It has some pretty interesting performances from from some you know people that we know more in the '90s and the early 2000s. But all in all, it was good fun. So that was his first directorial uh, effort, and it went straight to TV and uh, on a, in a full movie at least. That came out in 1984. In 1984, he also stars in Romancing the Stone, and he has a part in Johnny Dangerously. Two amazing movies. He's in the Zazz movie Ruthless People in 1986, which might be one of the only Zazz movies I've never seen. And he also, that same year in 1986, I was very surprised to see this, he's the voice in the My Little Pony the movie. I saw that! I was going to bring it up. His name... The character he voices is Grundle King. Yeah. That is that is not a good name. <laughs> isn't Grundle like another term for like gooch or something? The like taint. the area between yes. like the Yeah, the taint, the Grundle. Yes. He played the taint. <laughs> He's the gr- the in taint my little king. pony. It's insane this guy's taint. <laughs> and then they wonder why they have my little pony sex movies. <laughs> Come on, you guys were just asking for it. The Grundle. I saw that and I was like, oh boy, the <laughs> Grundle King. Danny DeVito had a had a very interesting mid-80s run as the Grundle King. <laughs> and then also in 1986, he does direct an episode of Amazing Stories called The Wedding Ring. I did not seek this out. Uh, I sought out the the Paul Bartel Amazing Stories episodes, but I like I think I said in that series, I'm not a big fan of Amazing Stories. Maybe I'll check out The Wedding Ring just to... F- because I'm a completionist, but, you know, he, I did have to say he directed that. But then, in 1987, he releases his first theatrical directed movie, which is what we're discussing today, none other than Throw Mama from the Train. So I guess in preparation, Heather, how many mothers did you throw from trains to prepare for this discussion? At least 17. I mean, oh, the wow. train track is, like, right there. So. <laughs> oh, you, yes, you do live closer to it yeah. than I do. Uh, I do. So that's why I guess I was slacking. I had to go farther to get to the train to throw the mothers off. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised you haven't been reading in the news about the moms on the train tracks. <laughs> that's going to be an upcoming Law & Order SVU episode. <laughs> they have to catch who's throwing mothers from trains. <laughs> All different kinds of mothers, you know? <laughs> Adoptive mothers. Oh, I, I was about to, I was like, what Dog does that mean? Mothers. Different kind of mothers. <laughs> Father mothers. Mothers you know, that all don't the mothers. want to be mothers. <laughs> yeah. 
So, yes. So today we are going to focus on Throw Mama from the Train. So that's all of our Danny DeVito history up to 1987 when he directs and comes out with Throw Mama from the Train. Also stars in, we should say. And next week we will pick up in our history from there. But of course, Throw Mama from the Train. I have to ask, have you ever heard of this movie prior to me asking you or inviting you onto this podcast for it, Heather? No. No, I had never heard of it. (laughs) Surprisingly, I had not either. When I was thinking of this series, and like I mentioned before, you know, like War of the Roses, Matilda, Death to Smoochie, I knew he directed Duplex as well, which I had heard of. I looked at his filmography, and I was like, oh, where did he start? Was it War of the Roses? And no, it was this thing called Throw Mama from the Train. And when I first read that, I got it confused with another movie called Stop or My Mom Will Shoot which is Sylvester Stallone and Estelle Getty. So Sylvester Stallone with the old woman from um, Golden Girls. And so I was like, no, there's no way he directed that movie. And it, that is the true, the truth. He did not direct Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. He directed something completely different called Throw Mama from the Train. So yes. I was kind of wondering, since I had never heard of this, I, I uh, sought out a copy of it, and I was like, okay, I'm going to watch it and see if we should start here, or if we should start with War of the Roses, because that's his next movie, chronologically. And I gave it a watch, and I was like, oh, I was like, this is his first his directorial debut, so that gets it some points. And I, I kind of enjoyed it. It's a cute little movie, but we'll, we'll get to that, because we'll have to talk about this movie in great detail. It released on December 11th in 1987. It had a $14 million budget, and it grossed $58 million. This movie was a hit. That's crazy. Not only was it a hit at the box office, it got some good reviews. It, of course, led to Danny DeVito making more movies. But in 1987, this was the 13th highest grossing movie in the U.S., that is crazy to me that this was 13. And, of course, there's like, you know, 300 movies released that year or something, or at least that they keep track of on the Internet. So just a little bit well, of What were some of the other ones that came out that ah, year? Like gl- some of the big names. I'm glad you asked because I wrote some of them down. The number one movie of 1987 was Three Men and a Baby. <laughs> I, um, I have seen that movie, and I knew it was a very well-liked and loved movie, but I didn't know that it was the number one grossing movie in the year of 1987. That is insane to me. Um, some other stuff on the, uh, above it was, you know, like uh, Predator, uh, Beverly Hills Cop 2, I think Fatal Attraction was that year, and, okay. and things like that. But I was also very interested to see that some of the things it beat out are also some of my favorite movies. Number 16 was RoboCop which is a fantastic movie, directed by Paul Verhoeven, who also did Showgirls. Heather, look at that. Yeah. Number 21 was Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, one of the funniest movies ever. Number 35 is one of my favorite movies of all time, which we've done on this podcast before, Adventures in Babysitting. Love that movie. (laughs) And number 94, another movie we've done on Cinemodities, House 2, the second story. Now, I just, I just want to let this sink in because it's been a while since we talked about House 2. This movie is called House 2, as in it's the sequel to the movie House. But the subtitle is The Second Story. Do you get it, Heather? Because it's like a house. It has multiple stories. And this oh, is the sequel 
I don't know if you get it, Heather. I needed to explain it to you. Wait, is it actually a sequel, though? It is. It is actually a sequel. Oh, I get it. Story, story, like a book. Yeah, I get it. She gets it. She gets it. If you don't get it, tweet at us, email us. (laughs) I will explain it to you in great detail. (laughs) But yeah, so 1987 was an interesting year for movies, for sure. And this is where Throw Mama from the Train fell in and made a shitload of money. So this movie is written by Stu Silver. I bring that up because this is his only non-television writing credit. And I think that's going to come in later when I'm talking about, or when we're talking about, our feelings on this movie. Stu Silver, I don't think anybody would know from anywhere, but it, like I said, is only non-television writing credit. It's the only movie he wrote. The thing that's way more important is that the director, for, director of photography on this movie is Barry Sonnenfeld, who, of course, goes on to direct the first three Men in Black movies— Wild Wild West, and people, you know, kind of love him before Wild Wild West, hate him after Wild Wild West. But I was kind of shocked when I watched this the first time, and it, his name comes up in the credits. And I'm like, oh, wow, they got some power behind this movie. So nice. I think this is this is where kind of some of the movie and some of the background is going to bleed together. But I think even before we talk about a plot synopsis, because I, I think this movie has been completely forgotten in the annals of history— I want to know if you agree with something. I I definitely feel that the show is stolen. The best performance of the movie is Mama, is Anne Ramsey. I love her in this movie. What were your thoughts on her just screaming at Danny DeVito the whole time? Well, I actually wrote down some things that she said that I thought were hilarious. (laughs) Okay. I also, I'm pretty much like an 80-year-old woman in like a 20 nine-year-old body um i have to watch tv with the subtitles and i could not figure out how to get subtitles on this movie so i really have no idea what mama was saying for like (laughs) a good percentage of the movie like i had to watch this movie three and a half times over just to you know figure out what she was saying (laughs) so so that that's that makes sense i definitely have had some issues understanding her all of the time but there's actually a reason for that. So Anne, Anne Ramsey, of course, has been around forever. I think most people would know her best is that she's Mama Fratelli from The Goonies. And this was one of her last roles because when or just before filming this movie and then also during filming of this movie, she was undergoing oral surgery for throat cancer. And so oh. that's why her voice is so raspy and so different from how she sounds in things like The Goonies. And it, apparently, as the story has it, that during the filming of this movie, she never asked for any time off. Like, when she needed to be there, she was there, and she was, like, a professional the whole way through. So good for her. I think she steals the show. And when I did some research, apparently the critics did as well. She got nominations for this role. She got uh, Best Supporting Actress nominations at, uh, I think she won the SAG, or the at the Saturn Award for Best Supporting Actress, and then she was nominated at the Golden Globes and the Academy Awards, and she lost out to Olympia Dukakis in Moonstruck. And I do have to say, Moonstruck is a good movie. I do, I do like a Moonstruck. Uh, that's an early Nicolas Cage film. So there's a, I think there's a reason, well, of course, as we just described, there's a, a real-life reason that it's so difficult to understand Mama in so much of this movie. That but makes a lot of sense. In the yeah. context of the movie, I think it really works. It makes works. her seem more senile. <laughs> yeah, it makes her seem it more really senile, does. paranoid, and more of like 
this person that you really want dead at a certain point. Like, yes. like she is so evil with some of the stuff that she says and does to Danny DeVito's character. <laughs> One of my favorite lines that she said was, you just sit there typing all day like a fat pigeon. You sit there typing all day like a fat little pigeon. And then I just had this mental image of a pigeon typing on a typewriter. And yeah, like some of the things she said, I'm like, did she improv that? Like, was that just her, like, roasting Danny DeVito, like, <laughs> improv the entire movie? Because that's really good. Oh, yeah. Throughout the whole movie, it's she is so mean to him. And it, the lines that I could make out are great. I think it's in that same scene with the typing where she calls him a fat pigeon where she says something like, you'll never get to first base. All you do is type, type, type. And I'm like, what? <laughs> You'll never get to first base. All you do is type, 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 type. I'm like, I don't, I don't fully understand, but it's a great insult. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then uh, when Billy Crystal's like, "Oh, I'm, I'm his friend," yes. and she's like, "He doesn't have any friends." And Billy Crystal's like, "Well, that's because he's shy." And she's like, "No, it's because he's fat and he's stupid." Yes. Who the hell are you? I'm Owen's friend. Owen doesn't have a friend. That's because he's shy. No, he's not. He's fat and he's stupid. I had that one written down as well. And it's just <laughs> it's just so, oh my god, abrasive. And then even, even when she's not making fun of Danny DeVito or yelling at or people in this movie, there's that scene when uh, Danny DeVito blows, like, the trumpet directly in her ear. <laughs> and they're like, oh my god, you killed her. And then she wakes up and she goes, holy shit, what a dream I was having. Louis Armstrong was trying to kill me. <laughs> You're alive. You killed her. Holy shit! <laughs> what a dream I was having! Louis Armstrong was trying to kill me! <laughs> <laughs> She steals the show. She's so every scene with her is just like she yells so much and I'm just like it's so mean and angry and abrasive but I want more of it. <laughs> yeah, and then the first time Danny DeVito thinks about killing her that we see at least, it zooms in on her drinking the lie soda yes. and you just get her mustache <laughs> in the picture her yeah. like lady stash and I'm like that is revolting that is awesome good job nice scene <laughs> oh yeah oh she uh, yeah and then there so was like good. some other times where she's like yelling so much she's like spitting and like spits down her face and it's it's amazing it's oh yeah really yeah she yeah she put the performance in and it is awesome she is a treasure because she's great in the other stuff i've seen her in you know definitely in in the goonies is mama fratelli but it's just like this is like i said i think she steals the show it's awesome yeah, she does a really great job. So I think the last bit of background, which will also tie directly into this, is I was uh, reading that the story has it that uh, Danny DeVito got sick during some of the filming. And, of course, he was sick. He had to act in this movie. He had to direct as well. Uh, he gave an interview where he said the thing that got him through it was cigarettes and chocolate. So <laughs> good for Danny DeVito. He got through it with cigarettes <laughs> and chocolate. <laughs>
good, good. That's that's pretty close to my coping mechanisms too. So, <laughs> so with that being said, now we will we'll have to talk about Mama more as we go through some of the scenes in the movie, and you know maybe some of the other crazy stuff that she says, or you know the bits that she has. Like I'm thinking of the one with the scissors in her head is just ridiculous. But Heather, would you be able to give? a plot synopsis of this movie for our audience, because I think people need it for this one. It's not like Showgirls, where we can just watch the last 15 minutes of the movie and understand everything. (laughs) This one, I think, has been forgotten for the most part. So, would you like to give it a shot? Sure. I uh, practiced on my mom earlier. Oh, okay. Before, during, or after you threw her from the train? Well, it's long. It's a long distance relationship I have with my mom, so there's no trains where she lives, or mm. else I would have. So. Oh, <laughs> but you know, COVID. You, you got yeah. lucky, Thanks, Heather's COVID. mom, just because there's no trains around you. <laughs> also, today's her birthday, so. Oh, right Happy on! Happy birthday, mom! Happy birthday, Heather's mom! Okay, congrats. She... My present is not throwing you from the train. Yeah, perfect, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um. So basically, Billy Crystal teaches. I, I'm assuming like a creative writing class. Yeah, I think at Danny DeVito calls it creative writing at some point. Yeah. Yeah. So Billy Crystal is teaching a creative writing class at a college, but everybody in the class is pretty old, which is comical. And Danny DeVito is in Billy Crystal's creative writing class, and Billy Crystal's ex-wife stole his novel. And now she's rich and famous and mm. banging the pool guy. And he <laughs> is just like having a mental breakdown. And he keeps having these Tourette's where he calls her a slut, which <laughs> just like slut shaming Tourette, just outbursts. I, I um, hate to interrupt you in the middle of your synopsis, but I do have to say, <laughs> I love how every time the wife comes up, he's just like, slut! 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 And he's screaming it anywhere. It doesn't matter where he is, at the top of his lungs. <laughs> Whether he's alone or with people, I, it's it amazing. It just triggers him. I can't write. I'm dead inside. I have no passion. You have passion. Oh, right. When you talk about Margaret, you have passion. Slut! And then part of me is like, okay, 2020, like, we don't slut shame anymore, Billy Crystal. Like, come on. You're allowed to be a slut in 2020. <laughs> anyways so but she stole his novel and he's pissed and he has writer's block and danny devito is taking his creative writing class and danny devito is a really garbage writer and he's trying to write a murder mystery that's three pages long with two (laughs) characters and one of the characters dies on the second page so uh there's there's no motivation left (laughs) there's no motivation what do you mean the guy in a hat killed the other guy in a hat Exactly. So Danny DeVito is like a really like not great writer. And everybody writes on typewriters because this is 1987. So that's cool. So Billy Crystal's trying to tell Danny DeVito how to write a good, you know, murder mystery. And he's like, you got to take you can't have a motive and you need an alibi. And then he tells Danny DeVito, like, yo, just go watch some Alfred Hitchcock. So Danny DeVito goes and watches uh, Strangers on a Train and gets the idea that Billy Crystal was hinting at um, them doing, like, a flip-flop murder thing. A crisscross. A crisscross, yes. <laughs> which, he, which Danny DeVito says way too many times in this movie. Hawaii. What are you doing in Hawaii? Crisscross, you know. Owen, 
I'm hanging up on you now. <laughs> yes. And so Danny DeVito goes to Hawaii to kill Billy Crystal's wife. And then now he's putting pressure on Billy Crystal to kill Danny DeVito's mama. And so then it's just this whole, like, you know, spiraling of everything. And uh, then, uh, yeah, turns out Danny DeVito, in fact, did not kill Billy Crystal's wife. Yes, she just fell off the boat in Hawaii. Yes. Yes. And we all learned a lot of lessons at the end. So it was good. (laughs) It was great. Right on, right on. No, that yeah. that was good. Absolutely, absolutely. So I guess now that we have some primer for uh, what this movie's about, I guess I got to throw it over to you and ask you, Heather, what'd you think? Did you like it? Did you love it? Did you hate it? Did you uh, did you laugh? Did you cry? Did you try and kill your own mother? Well, we know we answered that already, but what'd you think? <laughs> uh, well, I texted you after the first time I watched it, and I was like, okay, I watched it. That was funny, but I kind of had a hard time sitting through it. Sure. But then after watching it, you know, three and a half more times, uh, I think I do like it. I think I do. It's a good one. Like, you know how there's just a movie for every generation that just has tons of punchlines, and you can throw them out? And, like, The Princess Bride is one. Sure. Um, Mead Girls is another. I feel like this one had a lot of those punchlines. Like, I'm for ever going to call Justin a fat pigeon typing away (laughs) like that is just forever going to be my comeback line you know it's just filled with those really great one line wonders yeah I'm I'm glad you bring that up because that's definitely um, how I saw it you know it's definitely of course dated you know and we watched this in 2020 this movie that's you know now 30 plus years old the the comedy is definitely not what we're used to or, or what we expect or maybe you know what we like but I like that you said, you know, it has that for the time, like, oh, clearly from what we were saying before, like, this movie worked really well with people. It made so much money. People went to see this in theaters, and I can only imagine that back in the day, people were like, man, this is this is great. This is funny. This is, you know, I hope that people were calling each other fat pigeons when they left the theaters after seeing <laughs> this movie. And and I think that, you know, I definitely felt the same way after, you know, watching it the first time, that I thought it was enjoyable, it was fun. Like, I definitely consider this like a, a, a good little movie, a cute little movie, that type of thing. Um, you know, it's, it's no masterpiece, I would say. But as like a first directorial effort for Danny DeVito to, you know, make this much money and to connect with audiences, I think it's good. It's, it's, like, a, it's like a classic comedy, I would say, that it, it hits all those beats. Yeah. I do want to mention, though, that I, I definitely think that, um, you know, the, the tough-to-get-through aspect that you brought up, there's definitely, in the middle of this movie, I think it does, like, slow down for a while, and it's it's kind of, it gets stretched out. Like, I think everything from the runaway car scene, which has... That's n- where I was gonna... It has yeah. no purpose to be in this movie. We don't need a runaway car scene. Except to bring back the cinemodities of the Mulholland Drive. <laughs> sure. They yeah. they do they are on Mulholland Drive and then uh, we do get to see them go through the tunnel that's featured in um Back to the Future and Back to the Future 2. That's all okay. that same tunnel. And so that's good. But I would say from the runaway car scene until like the like mama finds out that uh, Billy Crystal is wanted for the the murder of his ex-wife. Like yes. it's just so many attempts where Danny DeVito is like, "Okay, you're going to kill mama this way and I'm going to go to the bowling alley." And then he comes back and she's not dead. The cops show up. He's like, "Okay, I'm going to go to the bowling alley again and you're going to kill her this way." And it's just it's so stretched out and it it does seem like it's it's elongated and it's 
it's not as fast moving as like that first 45 minutes where you're like, okay, what's going on? Like Danny yes. DeVito's this crazy dude who just keeps bothering Billy Crystal. Yes. And then he has this whole, you know, strangers on a train. And I guess for our audience or if Heather, if you don't know, strangers on a train, great Hitchcock movie. This is legitimately the comedy version of Strangers on a Train. That is the plot of Strangers on a Train that they yes. do the crisscross. And it's it's it just slows down. And this is why I brought up the writer of the movie earlier, because it's something we've talked about on Cinemodities before. When you have someone who is just a TV writer, who's writing, you know, things that have to last 30 minutes to an hour, and then they move to movies, they seem to always have this problem. They seem to always have difficulty getting to that 90-minute mark for a feature film, that they have to stretch some things out and add in some things that don't really belong there. I feel like there were some plot holes in that time frame that you mentioned as well. Like, time frame pot hole, uh, plot holes. Like, the night that Mama goes to bed and she hangs up her... Uh, oh. her robe every night at this time. But it's like, well, she had already gone to bed before like so you kind of just either skipped a whole day <laughs> yes or yeah so there were just kind of a little plot holes through there just because i feel like they were forced to you know reach that 90 minute mark yeah and it's yeah that whole like the multiple attempts at, at trying to kill mama it was just like okay like like come on like we need to get one we need we know that the movie has to get to a train not only because the title of the movie is throw mama from the train but also because this movie has like a goddamn train fetish. There's yes, so like, many trains in this like, movie. Literally, people and sex and trains. Like I wrote down all of the train things, and it's just weird. It, it is very weird. And so, so that's something I wanted to ask you about. We have two like interrupted sex scenes between Billy Crystal and the girlfriend, where one they're on a kitty train. And then two, they're in a bed, but they're reading a little engine that could knock off. Like, yes, what? because also the little engine that could was in fact a female engine and not a male engine. Did you know that? I, I did not know. Either I knew that and forgot it or never knew it. Yes, the little engine that could was portrayed as a female in the book. Since, since we are out of the Shoot Up and Spit Out series, I will go ahead and say, how do trains have gender? I I can hear it across the country. Zach is screaming because we have a three-hour-plus episode on Thomas the Tank Engine where trains have gender. So I'm sorry, Zach. <laughs> but no, I did not know that that, uh, that the little engine that could was a female. But, yes, but, that's but then good, in this sex scene, she is talking like, oh, the little engine that could, he could get his writer's block out and get a woody. <laughs> and like... Juju Charlie said to himself, I think I can. Oh, I can. And he opened up his throttle, pushed, pulled, and pushed, and pulled, and sputtered some more. And then, and then, and then he, and, and then. then... <laughs> 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 That's a blockage problem. All aboard. You know, and it's just kind of one of those things. Like, why does it have to be a, a penis reference now? <laughs> Sure, sure. And I, I'm glad you bring that up that she seems to be – well, when they're on the kiddie train, before they start to, like, begin to get intimate and, and Billy Crystal starts to, like, push her off, which I want to talk about in a bit, she says, like, in a throwaway line, she's like, I like trains. I'm glad you called. Me too. I like trains. 
And that's her line, is, I like trains. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's a very strange thing, but sure. I like singing. I like dancing. I like trains. And then when she's trying to, like, initiate sex with Billy Crystal, he's like, I don't want to do it. This is, like, on a kid's train. We're in this park, I'm guessing. Like, the kids are going to sit here tomorrow. And then he says, I have writer's block. And her response is, everywhere? I can't. What? I have writer's block. Everywhere? Yeah, it's no good. I can't. (laughs) Exactly. That's hilarious. And then Danny DeVito's just like, watching them in the background. He just, like, crunches into the chip. I love how he breaks these awkward, like, sex moments with food. Like, yes. when... Okay, fast forward when he goes to Hawaii, and he breaks into Margaret's house, and she starts having sex with the pool guy, and he flips through a magazine, <laughs> but then decides he's bored with that, and it's going to take a while, so he goes outside and makes a sandwich. But it was like all the sandwich stuff was already set up. <laughs> Th- that is an example of like fantastic visual comedy and comedy editing. When he gets tired of waiting for them to have sex so he can kill Margaret, that he goes because it cuts from him like crawling away from behind the couch and then just um, cuts to him in the final stages of putting a sandwich together. And I, I have to imagine that. The whole time they're having sex on the couch, he's just going through the house, in the kitchen, <laughs> getting everything he needs for the sandwich, putting it together, taking it out to the ba- the patio or whatever. <laughs> See, I thought that the sandwich stuff was placed out there before he even got oh. there. Like, it was put out there on purpose. Like, like he was eating someone else's sandwich? Well... It was like a sandwich bar. Like, clearly he was seen putting the sandwich together. <laughs> oh, but, like, okay. all of the ingredients for the sandwich was out on the table. So That's part of me, like, my initial thought was, oh, the pool boy wanted to fuck his lady and make her a sandwich. And, uh, or okay. vice versa. Okay. I think they are both valid interpretations, which is, uh... Great edit. It's a funnier vision to watch Danny DeVito run around this stranger's house looking for sandwich ingredients. And so we we do have to also say that the 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 pool guy or the guard, whoever this dude she's having sex with, why is he like yipping like a dog? I know the whole time. <laughs> I don't know the weirdest sex scenes. They're like barking or like getting off on trains. Or <laughs> I think that also adds the comedic relief. Yeah, a- as absolutely. Well, like. And and I guess the other thing is, uh, of course, near the end, before they get on the train, Danny DeVito is playing with a toy train at his house, like out on the yes, front porch. he looked like a little kid. Yeah. He was so cute. I, this movie is just, like I said, it has a train fetish, and it's so weird. Like, I would be fine if the movie just got to a train at the end. Like, we don't need all this other stuff. It's just, for some reason, they made the decision to have it so train-focused. Yes. I also feel like... Owen has, like, this, like, childhood sense to him. Like, he talks about his dad and, like, his coin collection. And (laughs) Another one of my favorite lines when he's, like, showing him the coin collection. This here is a nickel. And this here is another nickel. (laughs) Show me the damn coins. All right. This one is a nickel. This one also is a nickel. And here's a quarter. And I love, too, how there are different envelopes, but, but like, he knows which one is which just by looking at it, by the way that it shines, but they're in different envelopes. Mm-hmm. I thought that was 
pretty funny. That's not the way I would organize my coin collection. <laughs> yes. Let me just put it that way. Yeah, you're you're right. He definitely has like this this childlike essence about him. Like I definitely see it as some type of arrested development where we don't know how long it's been since his dad died or left. I think they say he's Mama died. Mama still wears her wedding ring. Okay. And it, it definitely seems like he had a great relationship with his dad, and clearly he does not have a good relationship with his mama. And it, it seems like, you know, that the the mother has done something to him or throughout his whole life that's just making him, like, stuck in this childlike phase. And at the same time, he, like, internally despises that so much that he wants to write murder mysteries. He wants to murder people. He wants to murder his mother. He fantasizes about it. It's it's an interesting dynamic for a character in a movie. Yes, very. And then he's, you know, going to school, but you're questioning even how old he is. Like, yes. the bald spot throws it off. So you're like, is he 18 or is he 42? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it's really, like, you really have no idea how old he is. And he lives with his mother. And yeah, it's just like a really interesting dynamic. That's that's interesting that you bring that up, that you don't know how old he is or how old he's supposed to be playing. Because it's, in, in reality, he's, you know, like 42 or 43 years old when this movie comes out. But he is in, like, this college class with all these other old people. And it, it, the thing that makes me think of this interest as interesting is because in the ratings game, when I, I was talking about that, how his pilot is about how a guy gets put into a, cl- uh, a room in college with two girls. Originally in his pilot, like, the two women and the guy are all college-aged. Like, they would, you know, fit that in their 20s, like, for that show. But then... The guy playing the, the, the titular man that gets put with these roommate women roommates, he leaves the show, and so Danny DeVito steps in to play him. So you have, like, this 40-year-old dude with these two college-age women, and that's what, like, the point of that show in the ratings game is that you're supposed to think he's a college kid, but he has his bald spot and everything. So, <laughs> so that, that's an interesting concept that in this, it's, you know, we kind of have this uncertainty of, like, how old he is type of thing. Yes. Also, it kind of reminds me of Community a little bit. Okay. Like the the TV show. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, so it just kind of reminds me of that a little bit about the whole, like, community college vibe of, you know, the slacker professor and then the different characters in the classroom. Which I kind of love some of those characters in the classroom. Oh, me too. From the beginning, when when we're introduced to the classroom and the woman is reading her story and she doesn't know the name of anything... What she says something like, the submarine man pressed the button on the thing. <laughs> but she says it so dramatically, like she's acting out just <laughs> terrible screenwriting. Yes. And, but she does it so well. Dive. Dive, yelled the captain through the thing. So the man who makes a dive pressed a button or something and it dove. And the enemy was foiled again. Looks like we foiled them again, said Dave. Yeah, said the captain. We foiled those bastards again, didn't we, Dave? Yeah, said Dave. The end. And it actually makes it seem like it's a good story. And then once Billy Crystal starts, like, pinpointing all the things that's wrong with it, it's like, oh, you're right, she was calling them button thingies. (laughs) And... (laughs) Yeah, but her even... acting is just so dramatic that oh, it, yeah. you, you think that it's a good story. She's owning which... it. Like, she says yeah. something like, uh, 
at the end, she's like, uh, it looks like they had foiled his plans again. We foiled his plans again, said the first mate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, and then, of course, they, I think the, one of the running jokes, maybe the only, like, the longest running joke throughout the movie is uh, the coffee table book, 100 Girls I'd Like to Pork. Yes! Which, I don't know if you noticed this, Heather, but when Billy Crystal picks up the, like, the manuscript or whatever, and, he's, and he reads the title in front of the class, and he says, 100 Girls I'd Like to Pork, the word... I thought he said fork. But then it looked like with his lips, he said fuck. Oh, yeah. His lips 100% his... say fuck. It is yes. so blatantly overdubbed. And apparently, this was so the movie could stay PG-13. Because back in the 80s, you weren't only you weren't allowed any, any fucks in a PG-13 movie. Yeah. And I, it's, it's the only time they do it, thankfully. It's not like they say it a lot where they have to overdub it. But, oh, my God, it is so obvious that he originally on set said 100 girls I'd like to fuck. Yes. And then I'm like, is he saying fork or pork? <laughs> like, I feel like they kind of use the two words, like, interchangeably <laughs> in that scene. Which, I mean, both of them work. Sure, but, sure. But we all know that we're thinking that... We all know what Billy Crystal's thinking. Oh, yeah. And I love how it, it starts, like, it's like chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, and it's all these famous women, and then it's stuff like chapter five, the girl in apartment 4B, chapter six, the girl at the laundromat, or something like that, and it's just like, oh, God, this is getting weird. Yes, <laughs> and then he meets uh, Beth, and he's like, oh, Beth. What, what was your name again? <laughs> and Billy Crystal's like, don't like, even think about it. Exactly. And then, I don't know if you noticed, but at the very end, when um, Billy Crystal has written his, or he's writing, like, the last paragraph and Danny DeVito comes up, it scans over his apartment, and on his coffee table is uh, Mr. Pinsky's book. Oh, yeah, yeah. Great little touches, and that's why I think this is a great, like, you know first effort of Danny DeVito as this theatrical director, like, he had a running joke, and he made it successful, and then you have these little Easter eggs at the end, it's great. Yes. Uh, there were just hidden details everywhere that were were really good. Can I also ask you, do you think that Billy Crystal did his own stunts for this movie? <laughs> I'm glad you bring that up. Maybe, maybe some of them. I definitely think that's, like, the way they shoot when he's out on the ledge of the house, I definitely think that that is, you know, movie magic where they're not that far off the ground. And so I would imagine that that's him. In the, the runaway car scene, that is definitely not Billy Crystal or Danny DeVito when they show the, like the, the wide shots of the car or the exterior shots of the car. There's actually a specific scene that I was point looking at last night when I was watching this movie. I think it's like 47 minutes in when the car, like, hits the railing and it like shows the shot of like the railing and the, the sparks are coming off of it, uh, the car and the paint and whatnot. You can clearly see the stunt doubles that are not Billy Crystal and Danny DeVito. And it is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, what about the one where Billy Crystal falls face first down the stairs? Hmm. I'm trying to remember how that was edited. Maybe the fall at the end was not him, but I could definitely see him being on the door, like sliding down into a, uh, like a, 
uh, ball pit or yes. something. Yeah, yeah. B- ball pit. I was going to say, like, I was trying to think of the name of what they use in, like, for stunts and stuff, but ball pit is exactly what it was. Danny DeVito and everybody on set set up a ball pit at the bottom of the stairs, and they took turns, like a kid's ride, and then they, they just filmed one of them. It was actually filmed in a McDonald's on a slide with a vintage door, so... So, yeah, I I don't know. I don't know if Billy Crystal, I have never heard of him being someone who does their own stunts. You know, he's originally and, you know, still is a comedian, so I can't imagine he would do his own stunts. That's a good question, though. We got to get him on here to ask him if he does his own stunts. And also, I want to ask Billy Crystal what in the world ever convinced him to dress up like Tintin. Do you know, are you aware of Tintin, Heather? This is a tangent. This is not related is to the this- movie. Tintin from anime Tintin? No, Tintin with the T-I-N-T-I-N. The, um, what is it, French or Belgian uh, comic from back in the day? Tintin? The Adventures of Tintin? No, I don't know know what Tintin is. Okay, okay. So, okay, listeners, you can can play along at home. Uh, So first, Heather, I'm going to ask you, if you go to Google, just just Google Tintin. Like T-I-N-T-I-N, one word. And, okay. and and look at the images because you're gonna you're gonna see this animated character. It's the it's the the little boy, and he's got like this little flipped up hair. Oh, the sweater with the flipped up hair and the collar that's poking out of the sweater. Yeah, yeah, that that's yes. Tintin. He's he's been around forever. He's in uh, the Adventures of Tintin. It was originally comics, and then Spielberg did a movie, which I kind of liked. Um, but now now that you've seen Tintin, I, I guess first question: What do you think of his hair? Well, there's one picture where there's a shadow of him on a moon with a dog, and it kind of looks like he has the, like, white TP KKK thing on his head. <laughs> so I think that's a little uh, inappropriate. Fair. fair. Uh, he has a receding hairline, and then he grows the front out really long to make him feel taller. <laughs> that's that's his style. That's Tintin. That's, uh, next time you cut my hair, Heather, I'm going to ask for the Tintin. <laughs> Oh, God. Okay. All right. All right. I need, I need to grow out a lot more hair uh, to get that flip up top. Okay, but now that, you, now that you've seen Tintin, you don't need to know about the comics to understand the next thing. Now, in the search bar of the images, after Tintin, type Billy Crystal. Oh, gosh. Okay. All right. And then look at the pictures that come up. Are you horrified by this? Yeah, it doesn't even look like Billy Crystal. Where did what? his eyebrows go? This is what I want to ask Billy Crystal. Why... Did he ever think it was a good idea to cosplay Tintin? <laughs> I don't know, but also I don't think he got the hair color right. This is nightmare fuel. I think this is absolute nightmare fuel. Also because in these pictures, he's his face is just like stonewall. He's not making any expression. He's just looking into the distance like he's a serial killer or something. Yeah, almost <laughs> like he dressed up as Tintin so that nobody would know who he was. And then this is like a paparazzi picture. <laughs> oh, God. So, so yes, Billy Crystal as Tintin gives me nightmares. And we have to ask him why he does this or why he did this. I don't think he does it anymore. And we also have to ask him, does he do his own stunts? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think those are some good questions. Oh, God. Okay. Oh, okay, where okay, where do we go? Oh yeah, the stunts. I was like, how do we get off on that tangent? So so yes, the the stunts. Another one of the classroom people I want to mention is uh, he's not in the first scene. He's in the, I think the second scene in the classroom. 
we don't hear him reading the story. I think the scene starts when he is finishing it up and people are clapping for him. And then Billy Crystal's like, oh, it's great. It's going to change the world of upholstery. And that actor is none other than Philip Perlman, who is Rhea Perlman's father. And the only reason I bring him up, because this is like the only scene he has in the movie, his birthday is August 15th, 1919, which I don't know if you know this, Heather, is Ben Affleck's birthday, August 15th. Oh, 1919? No, Ben Affleck was much later, but just August 15th. Yes, Ben <laughs> Affleck saying. is so old. But we, we relate, all dates relate to Ben Affleck's birthday on this podcast, just so you know. Oh, okay, it's like a thing. It's, it's, a, it's a big thing. <laughs> okay, I got it, I got it, it's a thing. All right. So we do have someone in this movie who shares a birthday with, with Ben Affleck. It's also Jennifer Lawrence's birthday, August 15th. I don't even know Oh, that. interesting. So yes, we, we have a Isn't Ben... Isn't that your birthday too? No, that doesn't count on this podcast. It's Ben Affleck's birthday. Oh, okay, all right. I was going to say, aren't you a Leo? No. <laughs> so we, I had to get that. I had to get that there. And then... Of course, there's that also in that scene where he uh, Billy Crystal picks up uh, Owen's manuscript the, after not knowing for the whole first bit of the, like, 30 minutes of the movie how to finish the sentence, the night was. And then he decides the night before this class that the night was humid, and Billy Crystal opens the manuscript and reads, the night was humid. And we get a great zoom in on his face, and he goes, class dismissed. I have a major headache behind my eyes. No, no, a migraine <laughs> in my eye is what he said, like, like a migraine needle stabbed him in the eyeball. <laughs> it is like he literally hilarious. took a migraine to the eyeball is the visual image that I got. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that zoom in and I love just the deadpan way he delivers that. I but- love that that's the line that triggers him. <laughs> and then yes. in the end when they're on the train and mama's like, the night was sultry. I got to get out of here. It's too sultry in here. And he just hates her for it. That's such a good word. Oh, yeah. It, that is a fantastic bit of like why Billy Crystal finally decides to kill Mama is because he thinks of – she thinks of like the correct word for it to end his sentence. And then he gets up and he's like – Owen or Danny DeVito says, where are you going? He's like, I'm going to go kill the bitch. <laughs> <laughs> See that—that's where it picks up again for me because I'm like, oh, finally yeah. they're relating to something that they set up earlier in the movie, which they don't do at all in that you know elongated scene we were talking about before. And I'm just like, finally they're getting back to it. And then we get some wackiness on the train where he's like trying to save Mama from the train, and that's—I I do like that scene for sure at the end. That like that's his decision. And of course, when you were talking about Danny DeVito with food. What Billy Crystal says, I'm going to go kill the bitch. Do you want anything or can I get you anything? And Dan DeVito's like, I could take a chunky. <laughs> yeah, you give me a chunky and then, I'm, you know, my mind goes to Ben and Jerry's because, you know, I'm thinking a chunky monkey. But oh. I'm assuming it was some kind of chocolate bar or something from. Yeah, the... I think they're I think they're still around today, but it's like a uh, it's like a chocolate like square or circle. And it's it's like chocolate and raisins, I think, is it's uh Raisins? Ew. Yeah, chocolate and Wait. raisins is its gimmick. There's no, like, peanuts or anything? Well, there's probably other stuff in it. Um, oh, okay. It's in squares, so it looks like it's in, like, break-off squares. Uh, Nestle Chunky is a candy bar known for its trapezoidal shape and consists of milk chocolate, California raisins, and roasted peanuts. Okay, I could get behind that. It's kind of like a peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> 
but just with like, less processes and in, in, in a chocolate bar in solid form like they, solid form like the peanuts aren't ground up like, to be peanut butter and the exactly. jelly which isn't made from raisins is just raisins no jelly no it's it can be made from you know grape jelly it, you know grape jelly. it could be yes but i don't think they jelly. i don't think they dry them out and then make the jelly <laughs> <laughs> no no they got to make them like you know astronaut space oh, bars like <laughs> so heather are you are you coming out on cinemodities with the hot take saying that raisins are astronaut food grapes is that what you're telling the world right now i mean i don't think that's wrong that's bold that's a bold statement heather <laughs> they're space grapes <laughs> space space grapes there you go <laughs> Raisins are just space grapes. <laughs> you heard it here, everybody. Raisins are just space grapes, according to Heather. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but that that's what a chunky is. I think, like I said, I think they're still around. I don't, I, I've, I've never, never received one, but I've, I've, I'd, I'd get behind it. I'd I've never one. been a big fan of raisins, so I don't think I ever had a chunky. I've just, I've definitely seen them, though. I kind of like raisins. Not gonna lie. No, I, it's not like I pack them in my lunch, but... You know, they're offered. Like, I don't pick them out of the trail mix, but I don't put them in my lunchbox. Okay, under understood. We got, we got, th- welcome to Raisin Modities, where we talk about raisins every week. <laughs> every week about every, raisins. Every week, nonstop. Okay, okay. So, so yeah, we've been jumping around a bit, which I think is fine. But were there any scenes that you wanted to point out, Heather? Any ones that we haven't hit yet? Okay, so... This movie was filmed in L.A., right? Yes. Okay, why, for like the first three or four scenes of the movie, is it raining? Uh, in ooh. L.A. I don't I don't live in L.A., I've never been to L.A., but I'm under the impression that it does not rain in L.A. That's a, that's a good question, especially... Why is it raining? When... And thunderstorming, too. Like, a lot of rain. Yeah, when, when Danny DeVito goes to the laundromat to, you know, first encounter Billy Crystal outside of the, outside of the classroom setting... It's like downpouring. Yeah. Like that's a well, that's a good question. And then too, when Billy Crystal was at home trying to write The Night Was, it's raining outside. Yes. And then Danny DeVito's at home trying to write and Mama's demanding a soda and nuts with salt and it's raining outside there too. And then they're walking to the classroom and it's not raining. But then later that day at the laundry mat, it is raining, which just doesn't really seem like the climate of L.A. So I'm trying to think maybe there was some kind of artistic thing, like maybe both these people were in slumps and this is like like their mm. low point, And now from this point on, they're coming up or I like there you go. That's a good interpretation for sure that it gets, you know, um, better and brighter and stuff like that as they go on. Absolutely. So in- interesting interesting thing i found here the the average annual rainfall for la is 14.93 inches according to an article from 2014 during which months the annual that's that's the average total annual rainfall Okay, can you look up the rainy season for la because i feel like there's rainier seasons and there's not so rainy seasons rainy rainy season well i will but to compare that which i find interesting the annual rainfall for where we live in Colorado is 15.9 inches. Oh. So just, just one more inch in out here in Colorado, which I find very interesting because I always I kind of think it rains a lot. Well, 
I actually don't think it rains a lot. It just rains frequently. We do get the rainy season out here where it just rains for like two minutes at the end of every day for a yeah, little bit. <laughs> it's like a microburst where like golf ball sized hail falls from the sky and <laughs> destroys everything. And then it yes. just stops and the sun is shiny again. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Every time I have to but bike it wasn't somewhere. That kind of rain in the LA scenes. It was yes. more of like the East Coast kind of rain with like. Heavy rain for an extended period of time with the low rolling thunder. I understand that LA is not a high desert, but I'm wondering if there was some kind of artistic intention behind it versus actually showing LA. <laughs> no, that yeah, I I, uh, I I think we respect Danny DeVito enough, even in his directorial theatrical debut, that um, he would do something artistically rather than just be like, oh, it's raining today. Fuck it. We got to shoot these scenes. It's raining now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then so apparently, where did Danny DeVito uh, get the tie is my question. Oh, uh, yeah. It's implied that it's just like out in the parking lot, I guess. Okay. All right. So who knows? Yeah. I also just think they were trying to make Danny DeVito look like a murderer. And that was like a really like suspenseful mm. scene. Yeah. Another bait and switch type of thing. Yeah. Which, you know, I, I always have issues with that that close to the start of the movie because clearly Danny DeVito and Billy Crystal are the two big stars of this movie. So what? Danny DeVito's going to die five minutes into the film? <laughs> yeah. So apparently we have uh, winter and early to mid-spring in L.A. is where most of the rainfall occurs. Okay, I would have hypothesized early spring because mm -hmm. the book producer, that's not the right word. The, the agent? Person, the agent. The book agent. <laughs> the um, book, played by Rob with... Reiner, which is very yeah. good to see. Yes. So he was obsessed with plants and he actually had starter plants in an egg carton mm -hmm. which is typically what you do in the springtime for starting plants from sure. seed so i guess actually it makes a little more sense now okay i like that so it's a it's an artistic decision and it fits with the the, the setting story. of the movie yes absolutely yeah also, all the sweaters kind of make it seem like it's not summer no cinemas in here get that shit away from danny devito <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I did like to, I always like to see Rob Reiner as little cameos and stuff. And yeah, you you mentioned I think earlier in this discussion um The Princess Bride for some reason. Oh, talking about quotable movies. Yeah, and of course generation. Rob Reiner is the director of The Princess Bride. So look at that. There you go. <laughs> ah. Did he also do Anchorman and Mean Girls? No. Uh, no, I do not think. <laughs> that would be <laughs> That would be something if Rob Reiner did Anchorman, which I am 100% sure he didn't, and I know he definitely didn't do Mean Girls. <laughs> so who did it? That's a, who, who did direct Anchorman? That's a good question. Oh, Adam McKay. I should have known that. Should have known that, Heather. Yeah, duh. Duh, Rob. Adam <laughs> McKay, my best friend. Definitely should have known that. So... The raining, that's an interesting thing, the rain. I've never paid too much, at least in these last viewings, uh, first few, I haven't paid attention to the rain in the slightest. Um, the thing that I was very questioning was back to the college classroom, why is there a bell dismissing them? Why is there a bell for college? Does this happen? Doesn't a bell in college imply that every class has to be the same length of time? Yeah, well, you know, community college in the 80s with... Uh, with old people? 
<laughs> old people and no cell phones. Nobody had watches. I mean, there, there were no be cell a... phones. You couldn't. How did you tell the time before cell phones? I mean, come <laughs> on. <laughs> what are they going to have a sundial in every classroom? <laughs> I I just found that very strange that there was a bell because I mean sure it could be a bell for every building but then it's like every class in that building has to start and stop at the same time could you imagine if your college had like a bell system and then you would go into like a classroom and five minutes in the bell would ring and the teacher would have to be like no 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 that's not our bell like that would be so ridiculous yeah I feel like it's that's probably a thing that maybe would have happened Maybe, like back in the day. Yeah, maybe. Like before the idea of like 90 minute classes with the lab or whatever, like everything was an hour long. Yeah, I I just, I guess, yeah, from our, you know, day and age of college and stuff, we don't think of bells in college ever. And then I just, it just threw me off so much, so much. (laughs) Even in high school, I don't even know if our high school had a bell. Really? Oh, okay. My high school definitely had a bell. Well, maybe it did. I, I don't know. That was a long time ago. I'm old. <laughs> so the other thing about his classroom, I I'm, I'm totally believe that, you know, that classroom could be used for other things. So I get that there's, you know, not just literature stuff in there for the writing class, but there's a shitload of maps. Like every wall has a map. And I, like I said, I get that it could be used for other things. But even the map like that is above the blackboard that you could roll down is rolled down. Like, like, why? Why would the map be rolled down for the writing class? <laughs> yeah, it's almost like they're trying to over-dramatize the fact that it's a classroom. Yeah. Like, well, it's not elementary, so we can't put up the alphabet. Let's put up some maps instead. Yeah, they are just pushing that it's a classroom, which I would say you don't need to do. Just desks with people sitting in them and someone at the front, and you just instantly understand the student-teacher dynamic. That's all you need. <laughs> exactly. And then the whole, like, cafeteria scene, like, where they're all eating lunch together. <laughs> yes, it is very—I think going with what we said before, we were talking about how Danny DeVito in this movie has this kind of, like, this locked-in childhood essence. This is very, like, youngish, like the like the—, the the whole class sits together at the the lunch table and and there's bells and there's maps everywhere and it's just like it just seems so out of place for this college setting it kind of makes it even more funny though oh oh definitely i i mean the scene where uh, in the cafeteria where billy crystal is screaming that his ex-wife slut! is a slut, slut that that does slut! not work if if you know it's not a full on cafeteria <laughs> yeah exactly that was pretty cringeworthy too that whole like Tourette scene in the middle of the thing where he's just like <laughs> slut shaming his ex-wife and he's like, I wish she was dead. Yes. And like, then even well. the with the girlfriend, like they make it clear in the movie that he missed a date with her because he was so angry about his ex-wife and she's not happy, which I totally understand. Like yeah. that, like imagine if someone canceled a date on you and it was like, oh, why didn't you make it? Oh, because I, I saw I was something emotionally distraught <laughs> about, about my, my ex lover. Yes. Like, yeah, no, fuck that. I'm not about just sitting around waiting for you to get over that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> was that before women's rights before they could vote, though, in the <laughs> 80s? Right. <laughs> I think they could vote in the 80s, Heather. I'm joking. <laughs> no, I don't know. I think Heather's like, no women could vote until I was able to vote. <laughs> uh, 
yeah, yeah, th- yeah. This movie predates women's suffrage for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would definitely not put up with that. But she's pretty funny about it, and she's like, "Oh, you, you're like 16 hours late for this date. What do you think I would do? Just sit at home and like stare at my chicken tandoori? <laughs> like, yeah. like good for you, girl. You go out clubbing. You get you some D. Like, you go, you get it, girl. Yeah, and she, she is very. Um, the movie doesn't. It's, it's not like she doesn't have any you know, agency about it. Like, the movie definitely gives her lines where she's, like, angry with him, and then she's, like, conflicted as well, because I think in that scene where he's like, come on, give me one more chance or something, she's like, I hate myself for saying this, or I can't believe I'm saying this, but okay. And then even later in the movie when he goes to her after, you know, Danny DeVito tells him his wife is, his ex-wife is dead, where he's like, I gotta tell you something about Margaret. And she's like, oh, what is it now? She's come back, she loves you, she has your child. And then she's, he's like, no, she's dead. So it, it's good that she's not just this, you know, this, this vessel that's just there to hang on, you know, Billy Crystal's arm, is that she's actually, like, conflicted about it, which, which we said she should be. Yes, exactly. I also love that she's an anthropologist, and the decor in her home (laughs) is hilarious. Also, the fact that she's watching a video of, like, tribal dance in her living room while doing, like, jazzercise to it is hilarious. Yes, yeah, I did. I did like that. That was one of those things where, like, the scene forgets about it immediately, but it's, like, a good quick (laughs) laugh, and I'm just like, okay, I could have watched that for a few more seconds. Yes, exactly. And then she said, like, oh, like, oh, look who just decided to breeze back into my life again. And it's like, okay, lady, it's been, like, a day and a half. (laughs) But I guess that's before texting and stuff, too. So I guess I'd be pretty pissed if it's been, like, a day and a half since you boned me on a train and uh, (laughs) I haven't heard from you since. Like, yeah, okay, I'd be a little upset. (laughs) The train and the sex is so weird. (laughs) so weird to me and it just keeps getting interrupted by f- eating i like, like you know how brad pitt is notorious for like his way to be able to oh, eat on camera sure i feel like danny devito is notorious for the way that he eats on camera but for like all of the wrong reasons <laughs> oh man oh man yeah it is it is something else and i dig it i absolutely dig it they do that whole in in the ratings game, there's a scene like that, too, where Rhea Perlman, her character, gets angry at Danny DeVito for not calling her. And it's just so – it's one of those things that I see in old movies, and it's like, really? That's, that, that was a thing? Because that just – like you said, before texting, it's a different world. <laughs> exactly. It's really weird to see – movies from the past or tv from the past and just the way that they choose to communicate yeah and then especially i think was interesting in this movie like you brought up the typewriters um which is definitely always crazy to see but then also in like even that opening scene when uh billy crystal turns on the tv like just the look of that tv and it's remote which has like the remote has like two buttons on yeah exactly and then even the tv when it like it's one of those box TVs where there's like the panel on the right hand side next to the the majority of it, which is the screen. Like when he's watching it, there's a little four lit up, like not on the screen, on the actual TV. Like it's just it's ancient. <laughs> yeah, and it really wasn't that long ago, which is crazy. Oh yeah, and absolutely. Then, like this is before the time of cordless phones too. Yes. Like every phone that we saw was corded. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Which brings 
brings it back. I didn't even because they're in that scene when Mama like is watching the TV and she sees uh, Billy Crystal on it and she's like, "I'm gonna call the cops." And she picks up the phone. Billy Crystal like hangs up the phone by ripping the cord out of the phone box. Exactly. You, you can't do that anymore. You gotta wrestle someone from their for their phone these days. Exactly, and, and not to mention if they say Siri, I'm getting pulled over. You're gonna get <laughs> recorded and live streamed, like without even touching the phone. <laughs> yes. Oh man. Yeah. Ain't ain't some ancient stuff in this movie for sure. And it's uh, it's I I kind of like that. I like those older movies where you watch it and you're like, oh yeah, things like that used to happen. <laughs> even all the cars too. Like there was a, like the car that they crashed. They were driving a sob. Like, how mm-hmm. many sobs have you seen? <laughs> like, none. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. It It's definitely, you know, of its time, for sure. And all of the sweaters? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, so many sweaters. There's some good sweaters, I, I like, for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they kind of made my allergies itch a little. Oh, okay, okay. Just looking at them all, I'm like, oh, that looks like that, like, Chanel stuff that looks like I'm allergic to it. <laughs> your channel, like Versace, your channel. Yeah, my channel. <laughs> my channel sweaters, my Gucky, my Versace, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> any any other scenes that you had or questions about the ancient, uh, the, the before times? <laughs> well, I thought it was pretty funny, Mister Pensky, uh, when he read like. All of the girls who he wants to pork, fork, fuck. Um, he's like, well, you know, it's a coffee table book. And uh, I'll put it, there'll be some pictures and some <laughs> drawings. And I'll put a nice dust jacket on it. Yes. And it's like, oh, you think a nice dust jacket is going to make the book sell? And then you see it on the coffee table later and it has a nice dust jacket on it. And you're like, okay. Because I... now it's classy. <laughs> now it looks classy. <laughs> Oh gosh, I thought that was funny. Oh, I also put down here the that um Mama sounds like a South Park character. Oh, I could yeah, I could hear that for sure. Yeah, like oh it loves his mama. Yeah, <laughs> I can't like... think of any South Park character that she would sound like, which is I've seen a I've seen like twenty one seasons or something in South Park and I can't it all just blends together. I can't think of one, but yeah, there's probably like a great comparison of one of the characters with a raspy voice with mama in this movie. I feel like the part with, like, the whole Matt Damon thing kind of reminded <laughs> me of Mama a little bit. Like, Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Okay, interesting. Okay. <laughs> okay, you guys are getting a real deep glimpse into the mind of Heather tonight. <laughs> I think they, I think they like it. I think uh, they want more nudity because from showgirls they don't have enough nipples in this movie. But uh, I think they'll take what they can hear. <laughs> oh my gosh! Another funny thing too that just kind of highlights Danny DeVito's childhood nature um, is when he's on the boat to Maui mm-hmm. and he sits down with a cocktail next to Beth. And Beth pulls out a cigarette, and Owen pulls up the <laughs> candle from the table to light up her cigarette. Yes, and she wants nothing to do with it. She has her lighter. <laughs> exactly. Um, there was also a scene right after that where I thought it was pretty funny, too, that Danny DeVito kept putting on his gloves, like, right before he killed her. <laughs> like, like his fingerprints wouldn't be 
everywhere else. Yes. And yeah. he keeps putting his gloves on, like, okay, now's the time. Like, and um, just the way that he's approaching Beth when she's leaning over, when she's on the boat and she's leaning over, she lost her earring and he's walking up to her and he has his hands cupped like he's going to strangle yep. her. And then she starts bending over to get her earring. And the look on his face, it's like a light bulb pops up over his head. And his hands go from, like, this cupping, strangling motion to, like, this pushing motion. And they, uh, like, in the background, the music, there's, like, a little slide whistle that plays. Like, it's very (sighs) goofy. Oh, my God. I didn't even pick up on that, but just Danny DeVito's acting with the way that he, you could like see it on his face. Yes. Oh, like yeah. it wasn't even in the hand gestures. It was in his eyebrows and his corrugator muscles that he was like, oh, instead of strangling her, I can just push her over. Yeah. It's it's like the whole uh, assassination is, is just coming to him as he's doing it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like he hasn't really thought it through at all really yeah that as you you know as you mentioned the um the the candle the, like the cigarette you know that made me think of i think one of the bigger things of the the childlike nature that i just like totally forgot was right before the runaway car scene billy crystal and him are talking in like the car and billy crystal's like you got to go turn yourself in blah 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 and he's like you're a sick man you're a lunatic or whatever and danny devito's saying something and then out of nowhere he's just like oh look cows and he points at a billboard you killed somebody. You killed a person. You're a murderer. You took a life. You're right. You're right. I'm no good. How could I do that? I'm a sick, sick per- cows. Yes. And it's just like, what? It's like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> <laughs> like, ADD, it's like the butterfly moment, but with cows. Yeah, and it's just... And can oh. we also talk about that billboard for a second? Because there's a billboard with oh. cows, and it said... The class of 1987, and it was talking yes. about like the class of cows that graduated. Yes, a very yeah. It doesn't it doesn't seem to have like a brand name on it or anything or like what it's, it's advertising. Cows. <laughs> Check out these cows, and it's in L.A. I don't know if there's a lot of cows in or around L.A., but who knows? <laughs> I think California is just known for its agriculture in general. Then there was the part where. Where Billy Crystal went and got drunk on a rock by the beach. (laughs) And he's like, I'm worthless. Like, these halibut could throw out some lines. Halibut, I'm listening. Yes. Yeah. And he's still saying, the night was. The night was. (laughs) Come on, halibut. Give me something. He's talking to the fish in the ocean. There's probably halibut right here who can write better than me. Uh. Boy. The night was, you got a line fish, just yell it out. I'm up for grabs. Anyway, so then he goes back home and he wakes up, which, by the way, he has a pull-out couch from his sofa. (laughs) Oh, yes, that's right. I couldn't figure out if he was living in an office or if it was an actual apartment. I think it was an apartment because he had neighbors, but... Yeah, it looks like it... It definitely seems like, like an apartment. a studio apartment. Exactly. I was about to say yeah. a studio, yeah. Because the only room... What do we see? We see, like, the main room, which is everything. And then at one point, there's, like, a little bathroom off to the side and then a closet. Yeah, it's a really small apartment. That's... I guess that's what happens when your slut of an ex-wife leaves you and steals your novel. <laughs> which, which <laughs> yep, by the way, happen. the novel is called Hot Fire. 
<laughs> and she's like, it's a story about my life. And he's like, no, it's about my life. Oh, yeah. Like, that... What the hell is this book even about? That opening <laughs> that Yeah, I've wondered that, too. Like, what could that be about, like, as a bestseller? And then in that opening scene where uh, the ex-wife's on Oprah – and Oprah's saying stuff like, you know, oh, you have like all this great stuff going for you for like an author or something. And then Billy Crystal's like, what about for thieving authors, authors, Oprah? And it's just he's talking and screaming the TV. And it's just, oh, it's it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And his buddy comes in and his buddy's like, oh, she looks good. He's like, yeah, thieves and criminals don't age. <laughs> his friend has no sympathy in the opening scene for what Billy Crystal is going through. He's exactly. just like, look at her earrings. She's got money. And it's like, dude, they're divorced. It's not like they're getting back together anytime soon. <laughs> but I feel like also the whole pointing out the earrings kind of points out that this is like a really important possession of hers. Oh, and yeah, then when yeah. she loses it, it's worth going overboard for. Yep. The setup. Absolutely. Yeah. But anyway, so when he's hung over and in his pullout mattress of a couch, um, Owen calls him from Hawaii oh, and all fantastic. of the different pay phones that he calls from is hilarious. Absolutely. Fantastic. With their, their chain of phone calls. And of course, where I got my introductory quote for this episode, which probably got like the biggest laugh out of me from the movie and from Danny DeVito, where it's like the third or fourth phone call. And he, D- Billy Crystal's like, Owen, what did you do to my wife? And he goes, I don't want to say on the phone. All I can tell you is that I killed her last night. <laughs> yes. Fantastic. <laughs> yes. It's, it's hilarious. There's some really good great quotable lines in this movie oh yeah great editing because like you like you said he's just in a different he's at a different payphone in the middle of nowhere it seems every time he calls which is what like seconds apart not even a minute as the movie leads us to believe exactly (laughs) i mean i've driven around the entirety of maui one time and it took us like 12 hours to do it it took us forever and the scenery changes so much so i'm just imagining him going from phone to phone in like this (laughs) minute and a half scene but it takes like 12 hours to drive around the entire island yeah oh that that yeah that is great the the visual comedy of it like you said the quotable lines that's where we get more of him going he's like he's like the job is done crisscross crisscross and then i think there's one point when he hangs up and billy crystal is like talking to himself and he's like crisscross what the fuck does that mean crisscross <laughs> I just loved all the different phones. Like, I'm really wondering if there was, in fact, like a pineapple-shaped payphone in Hawaii. <laughs> there, there has to. I did not see one when I was in Maui, but I would imagine that back in the 80s and probably still today, there's they have to be around. Well, maybe not I today. I feel like that should be a collectible. Oh, yeah, 100%. Do you, do you want to try to find it on eBay? <laughs> you want to see if we can find that phone? You want to go in on it together? We can have split custody. We can... You'd be like 50-50 of this phone booth. So it would have to be a pay phone, right? Yeah. But it, So I don't think we'd be able to hook it up to anything. I'm okay with that. <laughs> just having, having... What if I just <laughs> put my pay. cell phone on the cord? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, ooh, maybe get like the this pineapple-shaped pay phone and, and rework it, like, you know, re-engineer it so that the you take like the the actual phone off of the cord and you turn the cord into a charger for your phone so when you're charging your phone you would like plug it into this pineapple shaped payphone 
Oh, that'd be cool. That people, that'd be or like the talk of parties. Or you could even do like Bluetooth for it too. Oh, sure, absolutely. People would love like you go to somebody's party and they got like a payphone in there and they're like, why do you have a payphone? Be like, you could charge your phone on that, and they would be like, oh my god, the novelty is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'd be really cool. Okay, so pineapple payphone gave me no matches on eBay. Really? Uh, huh. let's, let's try pineapple phone. Oh God, it's gonna give me phone cases. Yeah, Jesus. Okay, well, I'll have to. I'll have to dig into that, or we will have to. Jeez, what? This seems like something that they would get on. Like they would find on like Storage Wars. You ever see that show where they like they buy the the uh, the storage units that no one pays for, and they find like weird shit in it? You ever seen that? No, I haven't seen Storage Wars. I've seen the one where the two Midwestern guys from Iowa go around the Midwest. Oh, um, and- American Pickers. Yes, American. Yeah, pickers. yeah, yeah, exactly. Like the same thing. The, a pineapple-shaped payphone would definitely be on one of those shows for sure. <laughs> so maybe and that's what I we got to do. We got to drive around and find someone with a. It's American pickers. Rob and Heather go all across the country, but we buy nothing except one pineapple-shaped phone. <laughs> so it's like ninety-nine percent of the episodes is us just looking through people's old shit and not buying anything. <laughs> also, it's recorded through a podcast and not actually with any camera footage so you have no idea what we're talking about the whole time <laughs> and all you get are our absurd descriptions of it so reach reach out to us audience see if uh you, let us know if you want to buy this pilot for this podcast and uh give us <laughs> i don't know what do you think we need to kick this off six million dollars that sounds I good was thinking 50 but yeah six 50 would be good. <laughs> it's gonna cost more than multiple throw mama from the trains <laughs> <laughs> oh god no i i agree that that payphone is super cool and we need some oh, payphones there was like a seashell one yeah. there was one with a horse behind it which <laughs> had like a rope on it but it wasn't actually tied to anything yes I, i'm a little upset they didn't do a payphone with chickens in the background because the wild chickens in hawaii are oh, wow. out of control that was the thing that like blew me away is like when i was in maui i had some downtime from my conference one day and i was like just I was like, oh, I'll find like a trail or something and walk, and I'm just going through, and then there's just all these fucking chickens and roosters just hanging chickens around everywhere, and yeah. And there's like baby chickens, and I'm like, oh my god! And I took some pictures, and I was like, showing it to people when I came back, and I was like, I took pictures of chickens in Hawaii. It was crazy, and they were like, this is, this is a very strange thing you're telling me right now, Rob. <laughs> realize about the wild chicken situation in hawaii so i'm just a little upset they chose an untied horse and not, not actually ch- yeah. wild chickens like that's you could fair. have made it a little more realistic with the chickens so that's our that's our one gripe for this movie that we could should have had chickens instead of a horse yeah exactly <laughs> the one gripe <laughs> oh okay well yeah when danny devito comes on here we'll have to we'll have to let him know <laughs> <laughs> he missed a perfect chance. You know, the rain, it worked out. It was artistic. It fit the scene, fit the setting. Could have done the chickens. Could have done the chickens, Danny DeVito. It would have been a lot more realistic. <laughs> Come on. God, this movie's unwatchable now. <laughs> <laughs> Can't get past the chickens. So so I think uh, one of the other scenes that I had, another another line, I know it was during the um, the portion of the movie, that we were talking about how it slows down, but when uh, Owen lets the cops into the house because he thinks Mama is dead, and then Billy Crystal is in the pantry, and they do that whole stoop. I didn't, I didn't care for the, you know, oh, can you get me this from the pantry? Can you get me this from the pantry? And it just like goes back and forth. 
But the scene, pretty near the start of the scene, we get a great line where they're in the living room, or the kitchen, the two cops and Danny DeVito, and then Mama, like, screams or something from her bedroom, and Danny DeVito opens the door and goes, Mama, you're alive! And then he looks at the cops and goes, Old people, you have to reassure them. (laughs) (laughs) Yes! Yeah, so yeah, even I, even when this I movie is slowing movie. down, you're you're right in saying that there's some great lines in this. Yes, there's some really great quotable lines. Yeah, I I think that was the last scene that I had. Any others that you wanted to point out or anything else? Oh, oh wait, no, there was one more. At one point, I'm very confused, and Billy Crystal looks just as confused as me, and I'm assuming the rest of the audience. When Billy Crystal is like, I want to like, take your shawl and hang it up on the door because he thinks the door is going to fall and kill Mama, she, like, pushes him away and calls him a black bastard. Yeah, and he's like, what? Yeah, and I'm like, like, what's what's the joke? Does she think he's black? Does... Is she blind? She hasn't been is shown she to be blind. Like, like, she sleeps with her eyes open, but is she blind? Very confusing. Let me hang it up for you. I, said, I, made him, I know that, but I would like to hang it up for Get you. Get out of my way, you black bastard. What? <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that was pretty funny, too. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It was... <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm glad we're both confused. And Billy Crystal is confused, too. <laughs> Which made me think that this actress was, in fact, like, senile. <laughs> she was just, like, they put her in the house and they she was just ad-libbing the whole time, like, thinking. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. Good old Anne Ramsey. <laughs> I know. Just some oh. of her lines. She's, and, okay, so then the part two where Billy Crystal falls down the stairs and mm-hmm. Danny DeVito gets home and he's, like, running into the other room and Mama, like, turns around and, like, slaps him across the face. <laughs> and she's like, your friend, he died in that house. And she starts saying that they need to bury him in the backyard before he starts to stink up the place. <laughs> yes. And I love that that's her reaction. Like, he's dead. Like, don't let him stink up the place. Go bury him in the backyard. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, she she's great. <laughs> she's hilarious. Yeah, she was hilarious. But then, too, just Danny DeFito's, like, innocent look on his face throughout the whole movie. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. when Billy Crystal picks him up from the bus station when he gets back from Maui or from Hawaii, and he tries to tell Billy Crystal, like, oh, I killed her. No, I didn't. Yes, I did. Oh, yeah. And he's, like, torn. Like, he doesn't actually know what happened in his brain. Or he thinks that it's his fault that she fell over because he wanted it to happen. It was just an interesting... It was, like, this internal conflict that he was having. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Because that is kind of the, the, the one, and pos- one of and possibly the only time where we have this kind of, you know, idea that maybe Danny DeVito didn't actually kill her because we never see it. You know, like you were describing earlier, we see him going up to her, but we never see him actually push her over anything like that. And then, uh, you know, of course, it's revealed at the end that she's alive and she's going to marry the the person that rescued her. And it's, yeah, that that's a good point. I don't think I thought about it really that way, that that one moment where he's just like, yeah, I killed her. No, I didn't. And then he's like, oh, yes, I did. And it's Billy Crystal is just like doesn't care. He's so wrapped up in the in the moment and everything like that. Yeah, exactly. I I guess I also wanted to say that I I love the pop up book Mama Owen and Owen's friend Larry that Danny DeVito gets published at the end. Like because one of the scenes we see in the pop up book is Danny DeVito two or three cars behind 
um, Billy Crystal and the girlfriend in the kitty train. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like Danny DeVito put that in his kids book as part of the story that they went through. <laughs> I love it too. Cause Billy Crystal's like, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. Like you stole my idea for the book. And then he realizes that it's a ch- child's book with like pop-up pictures <laughs> and nobody actually dies. And Billy Crystal's like, Oh, okay. Like, this is good. This is actually really good. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would love to have, that prop because it it's it, you know it's real they they made that for this movie for that scene i would love to have that pop up book in reality i think that would be so cool <laughs> yeah i was definitely thinking about that earlier like do you think they made multiple copies uh i don't know that's a good question i mean it does happen uh, often where they'll make multiple versions of a prop just in case anything happens to you know one of them and so yeah maybe there's a few maybe they're hanging around maybe danny devito has it like uh in his house or in storage somewhere like that. Like I would Maybe love he, to like, actually publish like a few thousand copies <laughs> and they're out there. And we actually read them when we were children. Cause you know, early nineties and it has actually shaped our mindset about society today. And we just, we just don't remember having these, this pop-up book. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we had a lot of books as kids. True. True. It's before the internet. So I, I don't think this ever got a, an extended or limited run in actual publication, which I'm upset about. <laughs> but uh, I, I, we got to find that prop somewhere. <laughs> yeah, maybe a thousand copies of it in all the <laughs> child libraries. So I'm getting hungry. Is this the part where we talk about snacks? I, I think so. If there's nothing else you have about this movie, uh, I think we've covered it pretty well. Uh, yeah. it's, uh, I'm glad you uh, you grew to love it after you watched it some more times, and, and I definitely enjoy it, for sure. But I, I guess that leads us right into, Heather, the thing that comes before snacks. So don't get... I know you're always... Sorry, getting... I'm, I'm always hungry. <laughs> yes. Cinemonities oh, I... and late night status. So I'll throw it over to you, Heather. If you remember from last time, these, these classifications and recommendations. What do you think for Cinemonities and late night movie? For Throw Mama from the Train. I think it's a good movie, but if you're watching it too late in the night, I know that um, Justin over here has an issue of falling asleep when things start to get stretched. So mm. I feel like he would probably fall asleep mid-movie, and then I would be, like, kicking him the rest of the movie. Like, yo, wake up. <laughs> like, there's still a movie going on. They're not even at the uh, train yet. <laughs> yeah, like, they're not even at the train yet. Like, you don't even get it. Uh, <laughs> so... I, I maybe not late night, but I watched it today at like one thirty p.m. and that was nice. That was a good time to watch it. I I definitely agree with you. I'm gonna go no to late night as well because you know there might be some funny moments and overall it's enjoyable, but like the the drop off and where it gets stretched out and you're just kind of you know wanting it to go faster and get more stuff to happen. Um, I definitely think that's an issue for late night movies. And I also think, you know, what I always say for my late night movies is I would love to watch something that you can, you know, really get into in terms of either, you know, conversation, discussion about the movie or, you know, something where you can really make fun of or laugh at a lot. And I don't think this movie fits that bill overall. Like, it's definitely a good watch. I definitely think if you're a, a Danny DeVito fan, this is definitely something to check out. But late night, it doesn't It doesn't cut it. Yeah, I agree. It does not quite cut it for late night. So what do you think about, though, for Cinemodity? I think anything with Danny DeVito in it is going to be a Cinemodity. Ooh! Ooh, that's, <laughs> that's a 
That's a very powerful statement right there, Heather. So. He's such an odd man, you know? <laughs> I mean, I can't get over the oddness of him. And no matter what kind of character he's playing, he's just odd. And I don't think I can get past it. I hope that one day this movie gets a Blu-ray release, because I don't think it has a Blu-ray release. And right on the cover, like the pull quote is, he's such an odd man, Heather. <laughs> Like, that's going to be the advertisement for this movie. I have, like, I don't even think I've ever watched a Blu-ray. Okay. I mean, that that's fine. <laughs> I mean, they're like, they they're still like, coming uh, out with those? oh, yeah, definitely. They still make Blu-rays. It's like, uh, it's the better quality version of a DVD, but it's understandable. I would, I would say there's a good bit of people who probably haven't, you know, ever bought or watched a Blu-ray. Do people you know still it... watch DVDs? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, really? Well, I, I think the DVDs have more of a, a cultural – well, for the for the moviegoers, like the people who really love movies, like I think they go to Blu-rays. Like I know Zach buys Blu-rays and stuff like that, but he's a, he's a big movie person. And I think for just like the casual movie viewers, like the DVD still sticks with them because th- – think about it this way. This is a crazy tangent because I haven't even done Cinemodities yet, but, but think about it this way. Imagine the transition in the world from VHS to DVD, right? Like, like you had this thing that you had to rewind. It could, it could get eaten up by your VCR player. It had all these problems with it. It was like, you know, this, this crazy analog type of thing of just ribbon in a, in a little cassette. And then the DVD comes out, which can fit the movie. It can fit bonus features. It can fit this, that, the other thing. And it's smaller, and it looks better, and it doesn't get fuzzy because you watch it so many times. Like, that's a huge leap, you know? Like, yeah. from the, the, this weird thing that's a VHS to a DVD. And that I'm, I think that stuck with people. Like, people were like, oh, my God, this is insane. This is a huge jump in consumer technology. And then what happened from the DVD to the Blu-ray? It's still a disc. It's supposed to be better quality, and it can fit more. That's not as big of a, of a cultural or a consumerism jump, so I, I think no. a lot of people didn't latch on to it. That's at least and how I've always thought about it. Also, the Blu-ray came out around the same time that streaming services came out, mm. and I really feel like like we don't really own hard copies of anything. That yeah, that of course nowadays where there's less physical media, it's all this streaming stuff. Absolutely, and and as the audience and and you know, for me for sure, I don't even have a lot of physical media. I love just having files. <laughs> exactly. Honestly, right now I found a bunch of old like CDs and mixtapes and stuff, and uh, I put them in the oven and melted them, and <laughs> I'm making yard art. Nice. I like that. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Art is always a good thing to do with uh, old, out-of-date uh, structures Anything. like that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. So that's yeah, why I... I seem a little surprised about the whole Blu-ray. Yeah, I don't think I own a single Blu-ray either. I've never owned a single right Blu-ray on, right on. in my entire life. Look at us. No Blu-ray gang. DVDs. I know. <laughs> DVDs and streaming. Yep, absolutely. That's it. All right. Okay. Good. Good tangent talking about the history of Blu-rays. Um, so, so bold statement. So, uh, for the rest of this series, it, whether Heather is a part of the episode or not, just know that she thinks they're all cinemodities because they're all going to have Danny DeVito. I think. Yeah, I think for the most part, I think he's in Death to Smoochie. Um, but for my cinemodity status for Throw Mom from the Train, I'm going to go with no 
even though I enjoy it, even though I think it's funny, it's a cute little movie, like I said, I think that it does have some predictable parts, like the ex-wife being alive at the end. I think you can kind of get a sense of that. Um, I think, for the most part, you know, that, that slowing down bit, it's kind of a, a, a classical comedy. I wouldn't say it's one of the classic comedies, but I would say it's kind of what I expect from, like, this dark comedy, especially with the topic of, you know, killing, you know, the, the comedic version of Strangers on the Train, as we said. So I'm going to go no to Cinemodities, um, but Heather's just <laughs> going balls out with Danny DeVito as a weird man. I, I really got to <laughs> watch more movies, I think is the thing. In, like, in general, or more Danny DeVito movies? All of the above. It's all of the above, okay. <laughs> Perfect, yes. Well, you know, you have you have a lot of great movies that I've given you over the over the years we've known each other, Heather. Yes! Can... Because, I know, yeah. I, was, I was thinking about watching House Bunny earlier. I don't, oh, God. I would not <laughs> recommend that one before a lot of the others. <laughs> but I guess, I guess we should say that, uh, I think I mentioned it when... Justin and I talked about Like Mike, but I, I, I didn't, I can't believe I didn't bring this up when we did Showgirls, but now that I have you here, Heather, I will say that that night, after we watched Like Mike, and you were looking through the hard drive when Justin and I were playing chess, have you, you watched did, some Tannic? I think that was a different night. The night I'm thinking oh. of was that you... Oh, that's true. You did watch Thumbtanic and you appreciated it, so you get many Can points. Can we do a podcast about Thumbtanic, please? Like the Thumb series? It, Zach and I have done it already. You've done it already? Shit, yes, that's I gotta in the watch first, this. The first year of our podcast, we did that. Okay, but, all right. But Heather decided to put on one of my favorite movies, another one we've done on the podcast, Amazon Women on the Moon. I was drunk. I don't quite remember this. <laughs> it doesn't matter what state of mind you're in. You chose it with no like solicitation from me. You just found it and turned it on, and I was very happy. <laughs> yeah, I mean... With a title like Amazon Women on the Moon, how could you scroll over it? Exactly. That's that's what I've been telling people my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, Heather Heather has uh, great taste for some cinemodities uh, that Rob loves, for sure. It's all about the cover of the book. <laughs> <laughs> or Yeah, you ne- you do need to watch the other Thumb movies. There's five you haven't seen, because we watched Thumbtanic, and this is another thing Zach's yelling about, because Zach does not like them. They are amazing. They are so good. I mean, the production for Thumbs is just, it's amazing. The costuming, (laughs) it's... You've never (laughs) seen Thumbs like this before. (laughs) You've never seen Thumbs like this before. It's great. It's great. All right. Okay, good, good. So that, yes, now, Heather, with with those things, Cinemati's Late Night and all these tangents out of the way, or some tangents out of the way, the tangents are infinite on Cinemodities. We can talk about snacks and the restaurant. Good, so, I'm hungry. I wanna, I wanna start off with um, the the one I was thinking of is based on that scene that we mentioned where Danny DeVito is eating a sandwich while he's waiting to be able to kill the ex-wife. And so I didn't want to do just that sandwich. I actually have a good idea for the assassin sandwich. So, oh. so I'm thinking of as like a reverse last meal where instead of the person who's about to die gets the meal, the person who's going to do the killing gets to eat this sandwich before they do the killing. Oh. So, so it's like, you know, if, if a, an assassin is going off to take out the hit, you know, carry out the hit on somebody, you can tell how up I am on the assassin lingo. <laughs> they can stop at a restaurant and get the assassin sandwich which will give them the energy they need to 
assassinate somebody. Now, disclaimer, okay. we don't condone, we don't approve assassinations here at the Cinemodities restaurant, but what we do want is to make sure that there's something at the restaurant for everyone, assassins included. It's not up to us to tell you you can't be an assassin unless you're coming to kill one of us, Rob or Zach, or I guess we'll make or an exception me. for Heather because she's don't, here don't right do now. It. Don't do it. But we want someone, we want something for everybody at the restaurant. Another disclaimer, except gelflings or droids. Gelflings and droids are banned from the restaurant, Heather. So don't, okay. don't be bringing any droids. Don't be bringing any gelflings. They are not allowed in the restaurant. But everybody else, until we ban other people or, or species, I guess, or machines, everybody else should have something at the restaurant, assassins included. What do you think? I feel like you should definitely advertise that you can only buy the assassin sandwich with cash. Oh, good, good addition. So that way good addition. you can't, like, trace the credit No card paper state. trail, absolutely. No paper trail, yeah. So definitely you can only pay for the assassin sandwich with cash. I, I mean, like unless, you're, unless you're a dumb assassin, then more power to you. <laughs> but, or unless, unless you've you're... stolen somebody else's credit card and you set them up for the assassination, then a lot of props to you. Sure, sure. I, I'm also kind of thinking what this movie told us. Maybe the assassin wants to pay with a credit card and then the Cinemodities restaurant and their sandwich would be their alibi. Oh, because yeah, that if would the, be their alibi. If the cops come to investigate at the restaurant, we could say like, oh yeah, he came, he, well, he or she, you know, I'm not gendering assassins yeah, out there. Yeah. Assassin can be anybody, yeah. except a gelfling or a droid. <laughs> <laughs> so when the cops come, we say like, oh, yeah, you know, they showed up. They got this sandwich. Don't look at the name of the sandwich on the menu. They ate it. And then when they tried to leave, they got stuck in the infinite void. And they were here for the entire time the murder took place. So they couldn't have completed the murder. Completed the murder. I just decided to say completed the murder. That's a very strange way to say that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm I'm on board. We have... I think the assassins can use the assassin sandwich to however they like, but know that uh, they are welcome here at the Cinemodities restaurant. <laughs> well, okay, so another snack I kind of started craving. Danny DeVito had a thing for toast with jam, and he didn't keep his jam in the refrigerator either. He kept it on his desk yes, next to his typewriter. That was like, weird. Like room temperature jelly <laughs> on bread. And then I think uh, there's even a scene where Mama wants, what, two soft-boiled eggs, white toast, and some of that grape jelly, goddammit, or something like that. Aaron! Food! In a minute, Mama! Don't you in a minute, Mama me. Let off your fat little ass or I'll break it for you. I want two soft-boiled eggs, white toast, and some of that grape jelly, goddammit, and don't burn the toast. Yes. Yeah, so... So, yeah, it was... Yeah, he did... I think you said it. It's on toast, right? He puts his jam and jelly on toast? Yes. Yeah. No, I got nothing against that. that I mean, any is that just what you're pitching, or do you want to add any strangeness oh, I was, to it? I was pitching the room temperature. Oh, that's right. That's jelly. right. Jelly. So yeah, that, the, room, the room temperature. Perfect. I, I prefer my jelly refrigerated. So I think that we have a few things that are on every table at the restaurant. You know, like you got your um, your salt and pepper. I think there's yeah. some other weird stuff. I think there's battery acid on any on every table. Like oh, a little spritz bottle. Does that help of... with digestion? Maybe. I mean, definitely if you're trying to digest your own stomach. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, so I, I think there's like a slew of things that are on every table. I think it'd be interesting if we just on every table all the time would be 
jam or jelly, like just room temperature. We never refrigerated. <laughs> oh God, that'd be so gross. After a week, it'd be that'd have a fuzzy lid on it. Oh, that's even better. That's what we want oh. at the restaurant. Gross. That's. Um, I mean, it might be gross, but it's perfect for the motif of what we're doing here. <laughs> also, hand cut potato chips. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, Danny DeVito took a big old bite of a nice hand cut potato chip on the the kitty train. Oh, oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah, I was trying to remember where the potato chips came. I was trying to remember which yes. eating scene he had potato chips in. Okay. And then maybe chicken tandoori. Ah. I don't even really know what chicken tandoori is, but I'm really hungry and that sounds good. <laughs> I had that on mine as well. I believe chicken tandoori is like a a curry, like a, a chicken with like a curry type of thing okay. on it. Okay. Um, yeah. And I I know that that I'm half certain on. I am certain that you need a certain type of oven to make chicken tandoori and it's called a tandoor and that's like where the name comes from is it like a clay pot or something yeah i think it's clay i think it's clay okay yeah tandoori chicken chicken dish prepared by roasting chicken marinated in yogurt and spices so maybe you could have some curry type spices in a tandoor which is a cylindrical clay oven oh okay all right like a dutch oven kind of uh like a cylindrical clay oven, I think. What are you trying right, to do bringing right. up Dutch ovens on this podcast, Heather? <laughs> Dutch tandoori, you know. <laughs> They're just so close to each other. Heather's like, didn't the Dutch invade India one day, back in the day? That's fine. Dutch oven, the tandoori Dutch oven. pretty much English, right? <laughs> so, yeah, I had the tandoori chicken on my notes and for snacks as well, but I was specifically thinking that it would be leftover or uneaten chicken tandoori. Because, you know, because oh. she, she just sits and stares at it and it, he doesn't come to eat it, Billy Crystal. So maybe I think going along with our motif so far, it would be uh, like the jam or the jelly. It would be room temperature tandoori chicken, like oh. left out overnight. I feel like tandoori chicken, if it were to soak in its own juices for an extended period of time, it would actually become more flavorful. Kind of like chili in a crock pot. Oh, sure. And especially if it's room temperature, so all the germs and bacteria can form and grow in there. That yeah. That's where the flavor comes from. Most it people gives it don't the know tartness, that. like from blue cheese. <laughs> that's where pe- people don't realize that's where the flavor comes from, the germs. <laughs> I, I think my last snack, well, for the restaurant, it's not a snack, it's, a, uh, it's an event. At the end of the movie, when... Danny, uh, sorry, Billy Crystal is going to kill Mama, and Mama is, like, running from him and screaming to everyone that there's a murderer on the train. They run through one of the cars of the train where a church is it's playing, playing bingo. bingo, and so I would like none bingo as an event at the restaurant, where it's regular bingo, but oh. the person calling, like, the head of the bingo tournament or game or whatever the hell it's called is a nun. Like... I, we just need a nun. I think we have nuns somewhere else in the restaurant. I can't remember. But maybe we just get one of those nuns, or we hire a nun, or maybe we t- make somebody be a nun. Like uh, I don't think nuns are actually for hire. What? Like, I feel like that's against their nunage. Are you telling me that I've gone through my whole life thinking that nuns were religious mercenaries, and I'm wrong? Like, you can't just hire a nun to do things? Maybe. I mean... For the right price, I bet you could. 
for the right place. I can guarantee you a spot in heaven. I, I feel like that's that's where I was going too. It'd be like the nun would be like, okay, I will do this. I will head your bingo game, but you need to convert to Christianity. <laughs> right, I'll convert for a day. <laughs> <laughs> you have to get baptized. <laughs> Every Tuesday for bingo night. It starts with some baptisms and it ends in bingo. Baptism yeah. and bingo. There we go. Yeah. Baptism, bingo. <laughs> oh, it's man. It's a thing. So, yeah, uh, that, that was all my I, snacks. Yeah, what do you have? The chunky bars, too. Oh, you wanted to bring the chunky in there? Okay. Yeah, the chunky bars. I mean, they're like space bars, pretty much. What about uh, if we add in to remember the thing that got through Danny, this, got Danny DeVito through filming this? Uh, chunky, which is chocolate, and cigarettes. Yes. So you get a chunky um, and you get a cigarette. I'm very anti-cigarettes. Well, excuse I have asthma me, and Heather. they make me poop. And also they make me <laughs> cough a lot. Are you eating but, them? Um, I've never actually eaten a cigarette. I mean, but then how does, them, it, how does it impact like, your bowels? You've never smoked a cigarette? No, I have. Like... And it's never done anything to my bowels. Really? Yes. Okay, what are yes, really. You seem you, so like... shocked by this. No, no, you. I think it's called a mole, a moly or something, and you take like a uh, tobacco and put it in the in a bong, and then like put like a sandwich layer of weed and like cover it with tobacco, and then you rip it, and it makes you like black out and shit your pants. <laughs> You've never done that before. I have. I have never done that. <laughs> and I, I, have, I have heard of people mixing tobacco and marijuana, but I've never heard yeah, of no, it you making do it in them a bong hit. You straight up take the whole why thing to the that, face. Why would that? Well, I think if you're smoking a whole bowl of something to the face, you're, you're no matter what it is, you're gonna shit your pants. Like, yeah, you're not you know, feel... tobacco burns like so much more than weed. Why? Well, I'm, I'm missing the connection to bowel movements here. <laughs> I'm just saying that it stimulates my bowels. We need a study done on this. You might be like one of the only people that this happens to. No, 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 no. You know how some people can't shit until they smoke a cigarette in the morning. It activates your bowels. That's all I'm saying. It's I have, tobacco. I have never heard this, me and I very know strongly. some tobacco fiends. I think that I think that you are correct when you said earlier that the audience is getting a deep dive into your mind this episode. <laughs> I think that's the best thing I can say. <laughs> okay, all I have to say is please comment on th- this podcast if tobacco makes you. <laughs> Got a shit. Yes, you know? you're. I, I think we should bring back your show, showgirls call to action, where you said that anything you want to say to Heather should be pointed to Zach on Twitter at Cinemodities. Please yes. tweet Zach and ask him if smoking cigarettes makes him shit his pants. Exactly. <laughs> Zach exactly. will love yeah. that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I bet Zach can relate. <laughs> That's a... I bet you're one of the few with the impenetrable bowels <laughs> that tobacco does not affect. Because oh my god, that's that's yeah. crazy. That okay, Heather. Heather, you're taking things even further than we like to at the Cinemas <laughs> restaurant. You crazy person. <laughs> Sorry, that's what you get when you <laughs> ask me on the podcast. Did you have any other snacks? I really don't want to think about food now that I've thought about shitting, but. <laughs> um, yeah, chocolate, definitely. Okay, just yeah, yeah. Our, our chocolate and okay, fine. Just, we'll we'll have to weed. we'll just have weed, to throw that one out there, see how it goes, and and we'll see. We'll we'll put it on the list for sure. So also with, maybe uh-oh. an entire bottle of straight vodka with no chaser. Um, I think we have that already. 
okay. I think we have a lot of straight liquor and things like that already. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, we can keep. But did you serve it on a rock surrounded by the smell of halibut? No, we definitely did not do that. Because <laughs> that's a whole new way. It's like sushi for the nose, but alcohol. <laughs> sushi for the nose. So, so space grapes are raisins. Sushi for the nose is the smell of fish. <laughs> halibut, specifically. Oh, God. Okay. Okay, Heather. Heather. <laughs> You're, we're going to have to, every time you come on, we're going to add things to the dick, Heather's dictionary of what she calls things <laughs> on this podcast. Great. With that being said, we have officially kicked off our Danny DeVito Direct series uh, with, with a good one. It's going to get better because next week we have his next movie chronologically, which is none other than one of my favorites, The War of the Roses. Uh, very different from this movie. So tune in next week. If you've never seen that movie, definitely check it out and hear us discuss when divorces get nasty. Oh, I'm so excited. So, okay, I'm going to watch that one. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great Not movie. Not so I've, I can be on the podcast, just so I can, you know. I really like that movie. And there is fish in the movie. So I think Halibut? Like, I don't remember what type of fish it is, um, but it gets peed on. So you're sold, right? You're just ready to watch this movie. I'm very ready. My eyebrows look like they're very interested. <laughs> oh, so it is a great movie. Can't wait uh, for next week to talk about that one. So at the end of this, uh, Heather, any final thoughts on Danny DeVito, on anything anything you want to pitch where people can find you? Are you doing virtual haircuts? Have you figured out how to do that? Um, No, but I was actually going to give myself a haircut and – some of it would be required to take a video of the back of my hair to see if it's straight. Sure. So, um, sure. Yeah, when you, you know, come I mean, over this week, I'll, I might have you trim the back of it a mirrors little. Mirrors don't exist, right? <laughs> Yo, it, you you gotta have like three mirrors set up, all angled the right direction. <laughs> when you only need two? One in the front, one in the back, and then you just angle well, it? Well, it helps that one from the side. <laughs> Okay, I I cannot fight you on this, Heather. You know better than me how to cut your own hair. So, so I've yes. actually never cut my own hair, so I will so, report yeah. back. If you want me, if you want me to throw you a trim, it'll be it'll be great. I'll just take the scissors right at it, and I'll stab you through the temple like Mama gets stabbed through the temple, and uh, we'll call it a haircut. <laughs> okay, one of the things I did want to ask you: Did oh, she say there was like an earwax ball in her ear that she wanted Danny DeVito to like suck out with a little sucker upper thing? Yeah, I think she says it's a wax ball. Yeah, that's gross. You ever also, watch I... uh, like earwax removal videos on YouTube? No, but I bet it would be pretty oddly satisfying they are great i have watched nice. way too many earwax removal videos have you ever YouTube. done those um ear candles i've never done the candling um but i have done like the drops and stuff to get earwax out and yeah i did the candles i used to work at one of those hippie co-ops and we sold them they were like local from beeswax i don't think shit. you had to tell anyone in our audience that they would have guessed that you worked at a hippie <laughs> co-op heather from <laughs> From everything you've told our audience so far. <laughs> well, anyways, I remember I put it in my... I used to do them quite regularly. You could, like, cut them open and see all the shit it pulls oh, out. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's pretty satisfying. It feel, When your ears are clean, it feels good. It does. It sounds good, too. 
So great. When I asked Heather if she had anything to plug, she she said, great PSA. Clean your ears, everybody. <laughs> Not only because it feels good, but so you can hear this podcast better. <laughs> exactly. That's all I got to say. All right. Well, then, to end this uh, episode, we always play something in reverse. This movie didn't have, like, a lot of, you know, standout music or musical numbers or anything, so I figured, well, what better way to end this episode than with the song that this movie's title is inspired by. There's actually a Patty Page song from the 50s, I think it's the 50s, called Mama from the Train, and it starts with the line, Throw Mama from the Train, but she's actually talking about throwing a kiss to Mama from the Train, not actually throwing the Mama from the train but i figured we would play that in reverse and until next week we will have some more good old danny devito thanks for being here heather until next time ready for the triple d Hello? Oh, God. Hey, is this is this oh, Cinemodities? Oh, Hello? <laughs> Hello? You got canceled last week. What are Listen, you doing here? I was in your restaurant, okay, and I got punched in the face. I reported it to the manager, and then he punched me in the face. What the fuck? Okay, we are going to put your, your complaint. It is duly noted, and it is going directly into the shredder. Man, this restaurant, I swear. We would like to offer you as compensation a coupon for your next visit. In which everything costs double the stated price when you use this coupon. Okay, you know, this was recommended to me by a good friend, and the customer service here is subpar, to say the least. All right, I'm I'm taking a Twitter. Okay, well, you have you've upset me far too much for me to continue talking to you, sir. So you just wait. Your day of reckoning is coming. Okay, I get. I guess I'll have to wait. You will. Sorry about that. He's such a Karen sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Karen.